Great Expectations is part of the Earth 2 network of podcasts. Episode 16, Days of Future Past. It's astounding. Time is fleeting. Madness takes its toll. But listen closely. Not for very much longer. I've got to keep control. Hey, welcome to another episode of the Great Expectations Podcast. I'm your host, Sean. I'm Jerry. And you're confused. Previously on X-Men. Oh, Sean. Yes? Today we are going to reach the end of the John Byrne era of the X-Men. And my heart just can't take it. I thought it was longer. I don't want to go, Sean. I want it to stay like this forever, because this is the pinnacle of comics for me. Oh, man, it's all downhill for... What it, about the Mark Sylvester years? I loved those years. I've loved a lot of comics since then. I've loved some comics recently, but for me, this is the best. Still. Yesterday, when I was at Free Comic Book Day, there was this boyfriend and girlfriend combo going through the back issue bins because there was a sale and the boyfriend pulled out some older uncanny x-men issues and showed them to the girl and she was like uh i only want new x-men issues and my heart broke and i left how old are we talking free happy free comic teenagers like but i mean how what issues i mean it was like stuff in the 200s wow i don't know what to say to that i know All I can say to that is that it's not the first experience I've had with someone that doesn't have experience with the X-Men saying something crazy, or comics in general, like, who's Neil Adams? Mm -hmm. Or, I don't want any old X-Men. That one's new. I guess that's my whole list. I've got no argument. (laughs) Oh, you brought up a good argument. Know your roots, man. You should know your roots. But we should cut people some slack. Because it's it's easier than ever to get this stuff now. That is true. But there's only so much time to read it all. And when I was younger, I don't think that I read a ton of, like, I wouldn't have, like, sought out the Neil Adams stuff. Yeah. Yeah, I, I admit it's that a good point. I didn't read that stuff as a kid. You know, I didn't really have an appreciation for it until we revisited it this time. And hopefully other people gain an appreciation through us. But it sounded like... You were saying know your roots as a segue to something. And I think it is a perfect segue to the first issue we're going to talk about. Which is Uncanny X-Men number 138. X-Men! So folks, if you are looking for the perfect 32-page recap of the first 137 issues... Of the Uncanny X-Men. Previously the X-Men. Uh, pick up 138. In whatever condition you can find it in. Because. It's the entire history of the X-Men. 
illustrated by John Byrne, inked by Terry Austin, and it's really good. Agree? Oh, it's awesome. I mean, seriously, if you and I had been smart, we could have just started here. That's how good this issue is. Yeah, I mean, you don't you don't need anything else. All the highlights are hit. But that's not saying that you shouldn't go back and read the older no, stuff. No, absolutely read the older stuff. But if, if you refuse to do it, everything you need is here in 138. And 138, basically, is Jean Grey's funeral. And it's sort of the last chapter of the all-new, all-different X-Men and the first chapter of the Kitty Pride era of the X-Men. I get a little teary just thinking about that. <laughs> but a uh, couple things before we get into it. Um, this cover has a few things going on. First thing is that it says Exit Cyclops, which is preparing us for what's going to happen in this issue, which is that Cyclops quits the team, takes a leave, takes a leave of absence, but it sounds pretty final to me, the way he phrases it. They yeah. leave the door open that he might come back, but he doesn't sound interested in coming back. Second thing, I held up one finger. That was dumb. The second thing, <laughs> uh, this is another pink cover. This is the second pink cover in three issues. I don't know what the hell is going on in the art department in Marvel right then. But cover is pink. And when you look at it closely, it's cool because in the background there are a ton of classic covers in that in that pinkness. It's reprinting the old covers all in pink. And then the third thing, our favorite thing, is another one of Jim Shooter's banners that you oh, yeah. can win a Toys R Us shopping spree. I'm gritting my teeth. I just hate it so much. I just hate it so much. The two most heartbreaking issues of this entire run both have these stupid-ass banners painted across the front of them. Yeah. I'm done, Sean. I can't talk. That's worse than any Chromium cover in the 90s? Just so you know. Dude, I love Chromium covers. I am never going to knock them. I, the only reason I would knock those is because they're a marketing ploy. But they look cool. I mean, right? you, I'm not going to argue against that. I wouldn't want to pay $15 for one. Yeah. But they look sweet. Is there anything in specific you wanted to talk about this issue that you haven't, considering it's a recap? There are a couple things I wanted to talk about, yeah. Things of note. Well, the one is a question that I have for you and for the listeners, because I don't know that you'll necessarily have the answer to this. Maybe Steve Raker will. Maybe Greg Turner will. I wish I had reread this before we, we talked with Greg. But there's a panel where they're recapping the fight with the, the Xanox. Oh, and editorially, I think Claremont here is starting to push an anti-Xavier agenda. Well, Did you get that vibe? Like, he kind of paints him in a dickish light yeah. in the recap. Kind of highlights how the things that he did in the past, faking his death and faking his... losing his powers, faking... uh or... Uh, you know, forcing them to fight Magneto yeah. their first time out were real a-hole moves. Um, so that, I thought that was interesting. But uh, the Xenox recap, he says, 
that by destroying the Xenox or driving them off, he unknowingly sets in motion a cosmic tragedy. And I'm just wondering what that might have been. I know that in the the Burn X-Men Hidden Years series, they they do a story where they go to the Xenox's homeworld and uh I think they like banish them to the the negative zone or something like that. Okay. But I don't really know what he's talking about. Any idea? And if you want to No. Think, no, I mean it's okay. I just kind of really don't I mean clearly it's something that's is that one of your like Look with you, did they cover it in the Hidden Years? Cause I actually never read the Hidden Years. And someone told me that yeah. I should, just because it's like, it's John Byrne, you know. Yeah. It's again, it even might have been you. Yeah, and he's inked by Tom Palmer, who inked, um, Neil Adams in the, in the Neil Adams run. So it looks kinda like John Byrne, kinda like Neil Adams. It's pretty cool. But that was written in like 2000 or something. It was yeah. years after this recap issue. So it can't have been anything that happened in the in the hidden years issues. Okay. So somebody blow up our Twitter, tell us how stupid we are for not realizing how obvious that is. I can't imagine that there's a connection to the the Dark Phoenix saga. Right. If there is, I I mean I just can't put it together. I'm totally I mean unfortunately a little bit of a loss. Okay. Well, I I I tried to find out and I couldn't come up with anything. Um I'm doing a lot of talking, man. You want to yeah, yeah. jump in? I'm sorry. No, 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 no. You're, you're, you're the one fine. with all the fans. So <laughs> I got a couple of other things I want to talk about, but you should jump in. You meet the, uh, but I don't have that much to talk about with this issue. I mean, it is just pretty much a recap. I mean, it's beautifully done, and like I like the the inner per, in the like interspersed parts with Scott basically doing the monologuing. Trying to put his heart back together. It's almost like Byrne just wanted to draw some of these panels too, cause like there's that Mesmero panel we were talking about, but he did that issue. Yeah. Crap. Oh man, you love that issue. I do. <laughs> there's one really cool panel, the, the end of the Carl Lycos yeah. thing where he falls off the cliff or jumps off the cliff. There's no ledge within view. <laughs> you yeah. notice that? Like he is really plummeting to his death. Oh there. yeah. <laughs> but we know that that's not true. He actually only fell a few feet and then uh, landed and recovered and continued his life. But, <clears throat> uh, okay, so a couple things happen in this issue that are important and or cool. The first being that um, after the funeral, Lilandra goes to Jean Grey's parents and offers her condolences, which I think was a really ballsy move, yeah. considering that she was directly responsible for the death of Jean Grey. Yes, yeah. Uh, even though she didn't want to do it. As a parent, I don't know how I would take that. Yeah, not well. I can't imagine that I would accept her condolences at all. You'd hulk out and turn into Jerry McRage. I would. I totally would. Um, so, kind of as a, a parting gift, she, she gives them that whole empathic matrix the little crystal ball yeah with the 3d image of gene gray in it and whenever you hold the ball you get uh like a the feeling of her essence the essence of her personality so it's kind of a a memento for them to really you know better than memories it's it's kind of like holding it is feeling like she's in the room and that was really cool i thought and we will see that 
that uh, Matrix revisited several times. Uh, Rachel Gray, I think, reclaims the Phoenix Force through that. Really? If I remember it right. I know that the issue where she becomes the Phoenix, she's she sneaks into the house and she's holding it and she's crying and wishing she could see her mom. Yeah. And then she becomes the Phoenix. So I'm looking forward to those issues, man. That when Rachel shows up, those are my... That's my X-Men right well, there. Well, see, I'm excited for it, too, because I think I've only read through that stuff once, and it was really quickly to try to, like, just do the reread, you know, yeah. as opposed to actually, like, enjoy it. So there's a lot of stuff that kind of starts, like, molding together. Because, um, like, the burn stuff, obviously, is, like, the classic stuff that everyone goes back to. So I've read that a few times through. Yeah. But, like, the stuff that you grew up with that you love, like... I'm excited to get to it because you'll kind of give me, like, an excited vibe for it, too. Like, I might be more into it this time around. Yeah. Because I'm, you know, pumped up by your excitement. Well, that's the thing, right? I mean, as a kid, going to the store, buying comics, you only have so much money. You only have so much time to buy comics. So you have, your collection is like a hundred issues, if you're lucky. Yeah. So you're really getting the most you can out of those hundred issues. As a kid, I reread the same issues over and over yeah. and over and over again. So I still remember those issues really well. But now, you know, you're going back and filling in the holes from when you left comics and buying new stuff. And you don't have time to go back and revisit stories. It's a struggle for me. I don't know about you, but it's a struggle for me just to go back and reread this stuff. Even though I want to reread this more than... Like, when the new issues are coming into my DCBS box, I almost don't look forward to reading them anymore because I want to focus on this. Yeah. But still, it's hard to find time to read all that stuff. So, as an adult, I think it's more challenging to fall in love with something old because you don't have the time to have that repeated experience with the story. Yeah. That's a good point. It makes me sad and it makes me miss my childhood. Yeah. Damn. And it's not just because I just turned 40. <laughs> That's the thing. I, I guess you're, you're, that makes a lot of sense. I mean, I tend to go through that with new comics. Like, I'll be reading stuff and I can't remember from issue to issue. Yeah. And I have to go back and like, and it's probably because I used to sit around and read and reread and read. Read and a whole run. You know. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, that's, that's, I'm sure you were the same. That's how I spent my summer vacations. Yeah. Because there, when I was a kid, we didn't have cable in Detroit. Like, there was no cable in Detroit. Yeah. So, your options were broadcast television. And there was nothing on, man. So, it was really easy to just sit in the basement and read comics all day. And, yeah, like, you, you build your familiarity with the continuity by rereading it over and over. And, there's no time for that anymore. And the double shipping makes it even harder. And I Terry, don't want to crap on modern comics. Yeah. Me and you. Need more time. We gotta fake our deaths. Yes. Just for yeah. comics. See, I was gonna say we should kill them. <laughs> but you're the smart one. Let them live. Just fake your own death. Exactly. Why do you have to go right to killing people? I don't know. I don't know why. I'm a dead man inside. I think that's why. Because <laughs> you thought maybe you could spend a lot of time reading comics in prison. 
<laughs> yeah. Yeah, I can use the stack of comics to protect my ass. And then <laughs> just take the one off the top and read it. But I mean, that's the thing too, is like I sit here and like, even some of the stuff that, I don't know, I lost it. You'll get it back. When you get it back, just give me the high sign and, okay. and we'll go back to it. So, the, the, the last thing really of note that's new to the story is the last page. Um, the second to last page is when, um, Gene's parents get the whole empathic matrix. And then the last page is just, I mean, if you didn't have the cover, this would have seemed like it was completely out of nowhere. Um, but Scott walks up to Professor X and, uh, and Nightcrawler drops out of a tree and, uh, Scott just says, I guess it's time to say goodbye. And he decides to keep, quit the team, says he'll keep in touch and Professor X says a heartfelt goodbye. I'm not gonna cry. <laughs> and, uh, yeah, I can't even read it. <laughs> but it, so this is the first half of the page and there's a, a long a long panel that that ends the first half and it ah uh, it just it's a, a monologue from Scott and then it just says the end at the end of it ah uh, and then the second half of the page is Kitty arriving at the school and there's nobody there and she doesn't know where everybody is and uh it just describes her as being this cool little kid and then that half of the page ends as the beginning and i just think it's so freaking awesome oh and so heartbreaking at the same time oh jerry you're killing me (laughs) oh god you guys the last page of this issue is it is a killer this is like please have a good Please tell me, did you cry when your children were born? <laughs> I did. Okay. Of course I did. All right. I wanna... Yeah, I mean, <laughs> I admit to being an easy crier. I cry a lot. I can't help it. But It's okay. It's, I'm, you can I'm, laugh at me. It's fine. No, no, no. I'm laughing because of how amazing it would have been <laughs> if your wife, if you hadn't cried at your child's birth, but your wife over here is tearing up. That fucking kitty probably joined me. <laughs> oh, oh, that would have been awesome. Holy shit, uh, that was Please, the best. please tell me that someone out there. God damn it, Jerry. One of our listeners is emotionally please moved by the story. Please tell me that you're recording all this. Ah, <laughs> uh, yes. Oh, thank God. It had, somebody, somebody, you have to be moved by this to make it worth Sean laughing at me. No, 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 dude. I'm totally <laughs> with you. <laughs> I was laughing, not in a mean, like, picking on you way. I was laughing because... Ah, let's hear it. You fucking really love this. Yeah. Like, some, like I, right now, in, am envying the way that you read this issue. I might be dead on inside. Because I'm just like, huh? See you in a little bit, kitty. Gotta get the reread done. Well, I mean, that's part of it. Um, part of it is that we've had 30 years of comics since then. Scott's alive and well. Gene was alive and well for a long time. Kitty's still around. We know that for the most part things work out. But, I don't know, just some part of me taps into 
the time. Oh man, I and love where it. they are. I love it. And uh it's just a big hug. it's it's great writing. It's great writing. It's a well-paced page and it's just so freaking poetic. I love it. I love it. I don't I have no more no other words for this issue. I'm sorry it's cheesy. No, it's not it. cheesy. It's awesome. Don't one last thing. Kitty is wearing this Superfly 70s costume, and she's got this black half shirt on underneath her pink jacket, and all you can see in silver sequins is ITC. Do you think her shirt says bitch? No. <laughs> what does it say? I, I need to know what that is suggesting it says underneath. Glitch? I was wishing it said Dazzler. That would have been awesome. Yeah. But, uh, I don't, I, she doesn't strike me as a Dazzler fan. She doesn't strike me as a bitch either. She's totally not a bitch. You know who is a bitch? Emma Frost. Emma Frost! Oh, bitch! <laughs> <laughs> oh, I feel better now. I think I can get through the rest of the ish, this episode. Yeah? <sighs> well, we can take a break. God damn it, Jerry, that was the best. I'm sorry, everybody. No. You know, we, we had this. You fucking keep that in. We had this in the, uh, astonishing episode the first time yep, we recorded that's it. That's true. <laughs> Hopefully we don't run into that again. <clears throat> X-Men! So the next issue sequentially is, uh, the King Size Annual number four. And we published 1980, along with the rest of the issues we're going to talk about today. Um, we cannot talk about this, because we promised Super Steve Raker that we would come back and revisit some of the annuals with him. So if you were really hoping to hear about Nightcrawler's Inferno and a cool appearance by Doctor Strange, I am sorry I have to disappoint you. John Romita Pencils. Yeah, first Romita an awesome Nightcrawler story, which I'd never read before. So the end was quite the surprise to me. I will tell you, I have still never read it. Whoa! I skipped it. Oh, yeah? Yeah, I, I paged through it. Be... I haven't seen the end yet. Okay. Uh, I don't own... The only annuals I own are number three. Okay. And um, I think number eight through through current. Okay. I'll let you borrow it. Well, you've got that, too. I went to the shop yesterday to look for four through seven. Yeah. And I couldn't find any of them in the condition I wanted them. Oh, okay. Yeah. You, you can borrow mine. So, people don't like Ramita, but even here, this he's still a kid here, man. But I think you there are signs of greatness here. Yeah, no, looks good. I mean, his his issue is better than a lot of the other stuff. In this omnibus, the, like the McLeod stuff, and I think this is still better than when Cockrum comes back. Yeah. And I know S Steve Raker disagrees, but I'm not really looking forward to those issues. <laughs> Sorry, Steve. So. So the one thing that's really important with this issue is that this is the issue where they officially offer a, a membership seat to the X-Men, to Kitty Pride. She accepts and you get I think the first real sign that she's into Colossus. Yeah. In a big way. 
So now we're on to issue 139. X-Men! Take it away, Sean. Let's hear you talk for a while. Oh, all My right. My voice hurts. Um, Hurting. So I guess other than the little brief couple last pages of the uh, annual, this is one of Kitty's very first appearances. Well, not appearances. Yeah, the cover. Welcome to the X-Men, Kitty Pride. Hope you survive the experience, which has become a pretty famous thing that's said every time somebody joins the team. Also, beginning with Rogue, right? Yes. Is this the first time that Wolverine is in the brown and yellow? Yes. Good catch. This is his first beige and brown. Yeah. It's a pretty awesome costume. It was always my costume. But now, we're going to have to have the debate, which is better. I think now I'm all about the blue and yellow. Yeah. No, I I, love. I love both, though. I do. What's your favorite? My favorite's the blue and yellow, because it's the one I grew up with. So it's the one I'm most familiar with. But I have to admit, there's something really cool about this that I didn't so much like when I was a kid. Because anytime I saw him in it as a kid, I was like, ah, that's not the costume I wanted. But now, I think with everyone's like reverence for it, Mm-hmm. And their excitement when he puts it back on that I'm actually really into it. Yeah. If they decided to go back to that one, I would not argue. Yeah. I mean, I could dig seeing that for a while again. Um, but the, uh, I can't choose. Yeah. I can't choose. I mean, it's, it's basically the same costume, you know? It's just that giant belt. <laughs> I do like the giant yeah. belt. That's pretty sweet. Uh, Who's who draws your favorite Wolverine costume? That's I mean that's tough. Cause I it, the thing of it is is like the the yellow costume is really like, I mean obviously I probably identify with Wolverine artist from the nineties more than now, mm-hmm. or even back then when Byrne was drawing him. Um, but one of the things that I didn't like about the nineties was the mask getting out of control. Like the mask Too almost big. became as yeah. Like, it it started, like, his mask, unfortunately, turned into, like, during the 90s, Marvel's response to the fucking bat cowl, uh-huh. you know? And so it just got crazier and crazier, and I actually missed the really, like, sleek version of it. What they got back to in Astonishing X-Men. So maybe, yeah. I mean, as a kid, I mean, I'd probably have to say that Jim Lee, you know. Right. That's but, a tough call. But, I mean, Burns great at it. Yeah, I think Burns is probably the best. Yeah. But I really like Cassidy's. Yeah. And um, I was listening to 11 O'Clock Comics this week, and they spent some time talking about this, and uh, like they kind of shit on the, the small-eared Wolverine cowl. But I kind of like that. Like the way Paul Pelletier drew him in the Cullen, in the Cullen Bunn issues yeah. of Wolverine, they were real small, like kind of like... Um, Dark Knight, ear cowl, yeah, small. I thought that was really cool too. I don't know. And there's there's a panel in 138 where Byrne draws the original. No, no, it's 130. Is it 139 or 140? Because it, it's part of the Wendigo story where he draws, yeah, yeah. redraws uh, Wolverine's first fight with Wendigo and the Hulk. Yeah, it's probably and, towards the end of here. And he draws him in that original whiskered costume, and yeah. it looks great the way he drew that. I thought it looked really good. No, absolutely, yeah. It's towards the end of uh, 
139. And I think he kind of doctored it a little, because I don't remember him having the big belt buckle in that. Right. I I guess I could pull it up, because that first splash page is up for auction right now. Oh, yeah? Yeah, the last panel of page one or, uh, Hulk 140. Oh, yeah. 170, I'm sorry. Uh, yeah, that's going to go for a shit ton of money. So, hey, I don't know. Tell us your favorite, though, everybody. We want to hear about it. Sorry, Sean, I totally derailed you. No, 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 it's okay. You didn't derail me at all. I mean, the thing here is that everyone's trying to get familiar with Kitty in here. You know, just... They're working out in the danger room. She pops in. Nightcrawler's trying to get her to calm down around him because obviously she's not reacting poorly to him. She's just kind of scared of him. There's a little bit more of the development with uh, Wolverine. Or, shit, I'm all over the place today. It's all right. We'll get through it. You're just broken up about the end of 138, that's all. It's true. You did really get me. <laughs> but the thing that I actually wanted to talk about in this is uh, Storm takes Kitty to into the city to uh, take some dance lessons, because obviously that must have been something she was doing back home. Yeah. And so Storm wanted to keep her familiar with everything. So they introduce her to Stevie Hunter. And when I was reading this, it started to click one of the things that makes me not feel as connected to the X-Men books that are coming out now. Something happened post the Lobdell stuff where the idea of mutants and humans coexisting even inside of Xavier School was just, like, thrown out the window. There are no, like... One of the things that people always talk about when they talk about Spider-Man is not just Spider-Man. It's the supporting cast that makes that book interesting. Yeah. And that's, like, almost gone from the X-Men now. You're right. And Claremont always had, like, a good human supporting cast. And even Lobdell, like, carried on that tradition because Stevie Hunter came back in his stuff. Iceman had Opal hanging around. Like, you had Colleen Wings and Misty Knights that were around. You had um, Trish Tilby, Beast Longtime Girl. Um, like, then now there's none of that. The, uh, forgetting their names, the two... The nurse and the the guy that get turned into Native Americans in New Mutants, they're there at, in uh, never read Mutant Mutants. Massacre. Like the the dude's got Tom, uh, he's got the giant ass machine gun and he's standing with Rogue guarding the tunnel. I'm totally. Oh man, man. I, I'll have to put an editor's note in later. Editor's note, the names I was trying to come up with were Tom Corsi and Sharon Friedlander. Tom is still around somewhere. Sharon, unfortunately, was murdered by the Acolytes around issue 300. But for me, uh, Stevie and those two were like the humans that, and Moira McTaggart were yeah. the humans that were all, they were always there, you know, part of the community, but I never noticed that. You're absolutely it's, it's right. Completely gone, isn't it? Yeah. And it's a real fucking bummer because it's like some of the the human characters were like a good gateway 
to get, like, someone at my age to be like, oh, there's a human person there, too. So it wouldn't be, like, I wouldn't be left out of the X-Men if I didn't have mutant powers. Like, they'd still want humans yeah. who gave a crap, you know? So yeah. a lot of, like, the, the soap opera aspect that I liked from when I was a kid, I feel is just, like, completely removed with the new military thing. And I understand, like, the mandate of, like, we need to get away from the peaceful coexistence thing because it's a metaphor for this thing that really shouldn't be a problem anymore because it's 2014. And it's like, but it is still a fucking problem. Like, the the purpose of the X-Men, like, the the motto or whatever, the their version of with great power comes great responsibility of, like, we can all get along and peacefully coexist. I feel like because they think that it's, you know, present day and we shouldn't be concerned about that type of stuff means that it went into, like, more of a military direction as opposed to... Yeah. Cyclops is, like, a general leading troops now, not, like, people trying to show that, like, hey, we can all get along. I miss that. I really miss that. And when I realized when I was reading this, the human element is completely gone. It's like they've segregated them. And you add on the fact that they went to Utopia. Yeah. They, like, segregated themselves too. And, I, like, I just don't know where their heads were at. Yeah. Well, it was some of this. Stuff. It was House of M, right? I no, think. no, 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 absolutely. I almost mean writers and stuff like that. It's like yeah. it just took this weird curve. Yeah. Well, it's at the time it felt like the natural progression. To me, but um, but and think, I'm sure it did to them too, the yeah. writers. But I mean, I liked now all those stories. That you pointed it out; it sticks out like a sore thumb. That that yeah, they've completely removed themselves from everything. Like they had that mayor that they worked with when they were in San Francisco, like a little bit, and I was like, okay. Yeah. But some of that stuff is just like never. I mean, Stevie Hunter. They were when using I, each other. When I exactly, <laughs> and when I read this, I was like, this is 139. Like, this is issue 139 that Stevie Hunter is introduced, okay? In 308, 307, 308, right when Executioner's song starts, and, uh, you know, Professor X is shot by the bad guy in that, Stevie Hunter's there with Warren. They're out on a date. So it's like my introduction to the X-Men also had Stevie Hunter, you did too, and it was ten years apart. Mm-hmm. Like, there was a secondary assist, like, character, no missions, no nothing. She was just a cop. Like, she was a dance instructor. You know, whatever. There's none of that anymore. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I think... Secret bunkers, and they're, you know? Which, I mean, I dig all of it, but I really hope that eventually it, like, turns... I mean, it's a case of be careful what you ask for, because for all those years, the people were like, I can't wait until the mutants are more involved in the greater Marvel Universe. It's like, in a way, that also... Mm-hmm. I don't need them to be superheroes all the time. I need them to be this... Family. Crazy, fucked up family. Yeah. Yeah. So, like, you'll find that the issues that I love are, like, the issues that are the quiet issues, where you get, like, really good character pieces. Mm-hmm. You know? Yeah. I agree. That was my big point of this issue, was I just started to realize that there were a lot of, like, human elements that seemed to be slightly missing. You're right. You're right. This is an interesting issue, because it's set up on the cover to be an issue about Kitty Pride, 
and like the first third of it is. But then there's this transition to a completely different story halfway through that, <laughs> that you're not prepared for in any way. Yeah. It's just it's just kind of springing on you, which ends up being the better story, I think. But um, I think some really so so it began with this this danger room practice session, and Kitty's not supposed to be in there. And uh and the training session goes shitty. Oh, I got it mixed up with the next one. But uh so it's going really shitty because Angel is rusty, he doesn't know what he's doing, he crashes in a nightcrawler and jeopardizes Angel, man. Yeah. That see, we just talked about that recently about how crappy he is. Yeah. In, in the last episode, I think. And Nightcrawl or I'm sorry, Wolverine kinda of put me in my place about that because he delivers this speech. They've just announced that Storm is the leader. And everybody's like, yay, Storm's the leader. But then Angel has this training accident, and he's, like, all broken up about it, and he's apologizing to everybody. And Wolverine's like, hey, man, you're rusty. It happens. You haven't been training with a group in a long time, and it would happen to anybody. And you you say you're not going to let it happen again, but it's going to happen again, and it's not your fault. It's just because you're out of practice. And we'll be there to pick you up. And I'm like, that's a leader. Where right. was Storm to deliver that speech? Like, this is the guy that should have been the leader from the beginning. But I, I mean, Storm's great, but Wolverine, right there, I think he, he proves it, that yeah. he was the guy. There's a point later on, though, where I think Storm kind of, uh, realizes that she hasn't been the best leader. And she kind of takes it into a... She ups her game towards the end of this little run. Yeah, you're right. I think. Mm-hmm. I think, I think too, um, a little bit of that speech, too, kind of showing Wolverine be a bit of a leader and kind of a... Uh, we ain't leaving anybody behind kind of leads into the whole story that we're about to get of him helping out Alpha, Alpha Flight. Flight. Right. Yeah. Yeah, you're true. You're true. You're right. And I, it is good that Storm's the leader later on because, um, despite Wolverine's experience, um, he still has trouble controlling his temper. That is true. In a, in a most murderous fashion. <laughs> so were, were it not for her leadership position over him, he probably would have lost it yeah. a couple times in the next few issues. So there's an argument for Aurora. So, uh, after they, they delivers that speech, um, Wolverine decides it's time to head back to, uh, to Canada and straighten things out with the government. Yeah. Because he, it's just hanging over his head. Hanging over his head, right. Yeah. We need a two part story. That's right. <laughs> and the fans demand more Alpha Flight. Exactly. Loved them. So, uh, and, and then we cut to the, the Kitty and, and Storm meeting Stevie Hunter, who I keep wanting to call Stevie Wonder. <laughs> she's, sure. she's even got the braids and beads. Yep. So, um, I love in the Stevie Hunter stuff how Aurora is just immediately insanely jealous of the friendship between yeah. it's like, it's almost like, 
it feels like they're setting Stevie up to be a villain. Like, like, Storm is, her jealousy is so strong that she's like, there's something wrong here. Like, this, this woman's evil and she's out to get us or something. It's hilarious. Everything that happened to Aurora happened when she was so young. Maybe she didn't have friends when she was a kid, so. Yeah. She was like, get away from my new best friend. Jean's dead. Can't take Katie from me. Yeah. Oh, that's true. But it, it, after their little practice session, when, uh, when Stevie calls, she calls Kitty our kitten. This is what happens. And Aurora's like, bitch! (laughs) What did you just say? (laughs) I love it. Yeah. You're gonna be, bring a third onto the podcast to see if I turn into Aurora? No. Every time you invite Steve Raker on, I get all Aurora Monroe. Uh, so cut to Wolverine and Nightcrawler having broke into Heather Hudson's house, which is sweet. I mean, I'm not too worried about it because we know that Puck has already broken in and is hiding under her stairs. <laughs> yeah. He's, this is where he starts waiting. <laughs> so he can be ready to stop truck stop. <laughs> oh, yeah. If Don was listening, he would think that was funny. Don stopped listening. Yeah, he stopped listening. Uh, but for all you who want to know about Truck Stop, just go back to episode, uh, seven? The Don <laughs> Cardenas appearance. Yes. Where we discussed Larry Hama, Wolverine issues. Including an appearance by Puck. Yep. Under Heather Hudson's staircase. <laughs> That's why he's stuck over there. Because he heard Wolverine <laughs> coming in, so he's like, shit! <laughs> Get all the panties back in the drawer. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, Oh, Puck, you are a creeper. So, um, this is the issue that, I mean, we were set up back in 109 and then 120 and 121 that Wolverine has this relationship with this group Alpha Flight. But I think this is where we really see some of it fleshed out for the first time. It's pretty cool. Wolverine finds half of the Alpha Flight team out in the wilderness and kind of comes in and greets them. And they're like, whoa, are you here to fight? And he's like, are you here to fight? And they're like, no, are you here to fight? And then Nightcrawler's like, just chill out. And then the funniest thing that's happened in any of the Claremont issues, Snowbird comes walking in as a polar bear and <laughs> Kurt's eyes are like dinner plates and his hair stands straight up and he leaps up onto the onto Wolverine's back like a spider monkey. And uh uh it just cracked me up. Um when I was a kid, my dad's scout car partner had this big, like crazy, huge, um like sheep dog. Like just a big ass dog, and his name was Thunder. And one day, we were all over at their house having, like, a picnic, and I had, I was a little, little guy, okay? So I was probably, like, four or something. Had a Dorito in my hand, and I was, like, running, and Thunder thought it was his, because, you know. So dogs do. Ran me right the fuck over. I started crying. I climbed up my dad like that. So this is what it made me think of. Ah, Exactly ah. like that. And I pissed down his neck. Ah! (laughs) (laughs) Oh, perfect. 
So that's what that panel makes me think uh, of. Sean, you are a true hero. <laughs> Maybe that's why he hates me. <laughs> <laughs> Maybe. So, uh, we find out after they decide they're not going to fight. We find out first, I think, that this is actually sort of a mini crossover with, of all things, a Machine Man story. Machine Man number 18. If you're wondering, as, as you're reading this, where the other half of the Alpha Flight team is, that's where they are. They're trying to... This is messed up. They went into the United States again to kidnap a person again. This time, Machine Man. And to see that unfold, you'll have to read Machine Man number 18. Volume 1, number 18. Was there a volume 2? I don't even know. I, Not I the 118 no issues, I would think. Uh, so that's where they are. But it turns out that this part of Alpha Flight is out in the wilderness around the Hudson Bay looking for the Wendigo. So they decide to team up because Wolverine has some unfinished business with Wendigo. And he is particularly angry because it turns out Wendigo has murdered a number of people and is there's a, a young mother and her infant child who have disappeared. And he kind of feels like he's responsible for that because he didn't finish yeah. he didn't finish the Wendigo off in their first meeting in yeah. The Incredible Hulk. And there's that John Byrne drawn original Wolverine costume. It's, it's sweet, awesome. man. The way he draws it is totally sweet. So th- the issue ends with uh, a really great little uh, reflection by Nightcrawler as he's watching the the 12-hour sunset way north. Yeah. Um, thinking about Gene, getting all misty-eyed like I do. And uh, while he's distracted by his thoughts, he is set upon by the Wendigo. Thus ends the issue. I love, I love Wendigo's little predator. Yeah. I guess he's striking down Nightcrawler. Yeah, as I was reading this page, I, I started thinking of, like, the, the little sounds that played every time they, they showed the, the screen from, uh, the predator's vantage point. So Wendigo, which puts us into Uncanny X-Men number 140. Interesting, Sean, fun fact about this issue. Here we go. He's been saving this for a week. As a child. This issue was so boring to me. As a kid. I like it much more now, but as a kid, it was so boring to me. And I thought no one would ever want to read it. This is what I hid porn in. (laughs) Nice! I had all my comics hid under the stairs. My mom had a bad back. She broke her back a few years earlier uh-huh. and had a bunch of back surgeries. And like, so she couldn't crawl under the stairs to come and get them. So that's where I hid my records when I first started listening to music. And that's where I hid some of my comics, especially the one that held out cutouts from wood porn. Nice. Woods porn. Nice. So whenever I see this issue, even if it's fucking in back issue bins, it makes me laugh because I'm like somewhere stuffed in one of these comics. Some kid hid porn. <laughs> and that kid was you. 
Does it give you a boner every time you open to a certain page, like your favorite page? I'm fucking weirdly expecting the window to go. <laughs> oh man, that's a great story. Like I got all, I get all hot and bothered every time I see a Sasquatch story on the news. Because <laughs> it incorporates the Wendigo story of Uncanny X-Men with woods porn. Because I'm sure you'd find Sasquatch right. in the woods looking for woods porn. What else would he be doing? Oh, man. So I just want you to know every time you read Uncanny X-Men number 140. Go to every back issue bin you can possibly find and shake that fucker out. <laughs> See if you find anything. You know, with the advent of the internet, we really don't need what's Yeah, but how anymore. amazing would it be if one day I was going through some back issues? I'm sure this is actually probably the issue that I had when I was a kid that I kept it in, but if I had ever gotten rid of my collection, that'd be a great... I'm going to travel the country looking for my original yeah. Uncanny X-Men 140. All right. You had so, some story about that page, didn't you? I we talked about this. We I can did. Because when I was reading it, I was like, "What?" They did this in okay. one of the mutant massacres. Okay. Issues, right? It, it had to. I am sure of it. Because when I turned to this, I thought the same thing. So the, the first page is a giant splash page of Colossus waging war against an old stump, pulling it out of the ground with a big chain. And I swear we've discussed this before, but it wouldn't have been in this issue. Yeah, no, I know. Which means it's been done twice for some reason. And it's ridiculous because we've already seen him tear an entire tree out of the ground. Not once, but twice. Yeah. So I don't know why this is a big deal. And then fucker got turned to gold and he was still okay. (laughs) And he got turned human and he was still holding it up. So why is this a big deal? It's not, I tell you. But. It does give Angel a window into Colossus's personality, and he, you know, they they chat for a minute, and uh, Colossus tries to explain his love for the land, and and Angel is just really impressed by his poet's heart. As am I. Yeah, I love Colossus. I do too. He's he's described as um, I think it's in the Days of Future Past issues. They talk about. His similarity with Storm, it's when Storm dies, spoilers, um, and how, how they were kindred spirits and best of friends and, and, uh, like, the description of him just re- reaffirmed why I like the character so much. His, his gentle artist's heart and his, matched with his physical power. Yeah. I think is a really interesting character. This is one of the best X-Men. We gotta get that down when we're doing our, Top ten favorite X-Men of all time. Yeah. I want to do that. That seems like something we could bring Stegman for. Yeah. He'd have to be like, okay, tell me, what are the X-Men again? (laughs) (laughs) Hold on, I gotta go take a shower. My hair is standing straight up. (laughs) This list one through ten would be Dawn Fart Penis. (laughs) Yeah. Dawn Fart Penis. And Nick Patera is number ten. Yeah. Tight butthole, man. Ugh. So, cut to Storm in Manhattan again. And, uh, she's accosted by a, he describes himself as a fine dude. 
But she doesn't have time of day for him. No, she does not. So she soaks him with a mini thunderstorm. She shuts, shuts it down. Shuts it down again. I guess this is not his first attempt yeah. at trying to woo her. And um, and then she gets all jealous with Stevie. That's awesome. And uh, Kitty Pride is wearing this tasseled leather buckskin jacket. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know, man. Yeah. Oh, we see her Star of David. I don't know if that's the first time or not. Yeah, Jerry, this is it. But if it hasn't been established before, issue 140 establishes that yes. Kitty is indeed Jewish. Um, We've got Wendigo attacking. Yeah, we pick up the Wendigo Nightcrawler fight again. This is a pretty good fight. It is. Nightcrawler has no shot. And, uh, I don't know why he doesn't remember to teleport sooner in fights. He yeah. runs into this a lot. And that's why I thought Azazel was so cool in the first class movie. Yeah. Because that is what you look like when you really know how to use that power. Yeah. That movie was really good. I don't, I think, I think in X2, they had Nightcrawler almost to that level. Yeah. And that was cool. Oh, that opening but was awesome. He was out of sorts. You yeah. know, he, he didn't, he wasn't that badass once he was himself. Which is too bad. But that is Nightcrawler's peak potential. Yeah. This fight is not Nightcrawler's peak potential in the beginning. Uh, but by the end, he seems to be figuring things out and then he catches a punch to the oh, chest. that panel with the multiple shadowed Nightcrawlers. Doing his little somersaults. Yeah. Yeah. Doesn't work out so well for him, but. No, he gets punched through the air and flies about 50 yards, smashes into the side of the cabin, and is unconscious but otherwise unharmed. Um, so, he's either incredibly resilient, or they don't have a firm understanding of what happens to the human body when it flies that far. Yeah. Whatever. We find out that the Wendigo likes to pick up things and throw them. Uh, he has a car, I'm sorry, a truck that he throws at Vindicator, but Vindicator zaps that and melts it. Editor's note, not for the first time, I'm having trouble remembering that the dude's name is Guardian and Vindicator is his hot red-headed wife. I'll learn one of these days. Unfortunately, starting a fire that could spark a fire that would yeah, need burn to put up a whole forest. But cool that he could slag an entire truck as it's flying towards him. Yeah. But then he smashes him with a tree. Man. It's cool to see Wolverine working together with Alpha Flight, though. Yeah. This reminds me of my peak Alpha Flight rating years. Wolverine yeah. would show up every once in a while, and it was just so cool when he did. Yeah. Um, there were times when I almost wished that he was with Alpha Flight instead, because he seemed to fit better. Really? By the by that time, yeah. Maybe I, I mean, gotta go back and read some old Alpha Flight. I don't know. I mean, I was a kid, too. You know, I liked some stuff that wasn't very good as a kid. That's alright. I was in love like with the Starriers miniseries that was not very good. I like some stuff that's not very good right now. So then, uh, we have some, uh, flashbacks. To uh, Wolverine kind of talking to Heather and James 
about what's been done to him. Um, but the reason I point this out is, uh, just with, uh, current events, um, Bob Hoskins, talented actor, passed away last week. And, um, he was actually Claremont's first choice. If they were to ever do a X-Men movie to play Wolverine, he thought that Bob Hoskins was the perfect actor and size and hairiness and yeah. so on and so forth that he would have been a great Wolverine back then. Absolutely. That's awesome. So it kind of um, changed the way that I looked at these panels with him being kind of dressed up not in the Wolverine costume. You got to see, I think that's the first time you've ever seen Logan in a suit and tie. So it was kind well, of he's a, wearing the same uniform he was wearing in Giant Size Number One. Okay. When he cut the dude's tie in half. Oh yeah. Yeah. So um, there's your little current event. I really like his hair in these panels. This yeah, is, you too. This is young Wolverine, and well, he's not. He's still not young if you go by the uh, continuity we have now. But um, he's got that uh, the wolf, the hair from the movie, like the the tame, yeah, um, small points in his hair. It looks much more realistic. He's still got that massive widow peak, though. Yeah, hey, that's all right. It happens. It happens. That's all right. That, uh, Heather Hudson with the short skirt. There it is. I gave you one. I don't think I gave anybody anything in the, the last It would have been episode. hilarious if you had saved it for Days of Future Past and mentioned old Kitty Pride. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah, there's that Sigourney Weaver. <laughs> right, yeah. So, uh, we get back to the fight. Wolverine starts going into his rage. That last panel on this particular page... Page 237 of the Omnibus. Yeah. There's no page numbers on my issue for some reason. Yeah, so they they track Wendigo back to his little lair. And the Wendigo has rolled a giant boulder in front of a cave opening. And he rolls it back and reveals that the woman and baby they've been looking for are in fact still alive. But the Wendigo grabs the lady by the leg and picks her up and he looks like he's just going to take a bite out of her leg like it's a drumstick or something. It's nuts. I mean, that's probably what it would really look like. That's that's the weird thing, you know? Like, Burn must have been sitting at his table thinking, all right, now, if I was going to eat somebody and I was like three times bigger than them, where would I start? That's weird. This is what... Go for the the dark meat. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> Which happens to be Melissa's favorite part of the chicken. Oh, yeah? She does like the dark meat. <laughs> uh, where were we? Holy shit. So, yeah, Wolverine arrives just in time and uh, slices and dices the Wendigo, but... Uh, I hope you leave that in just for the Baron. <laughs> <laughs> um, he he puts the Wendigo down, but not out. Is there something to this fight with the Wendigo where it might be because of Wolverine's in his brown and tan costume, but it's like every time that Wolverine's in that costume, I feel like the fights with him are more brutal. Like, I feel like the brown and tan is like him putting on like almost like a, a Wolverine in disguise. Now I'm gonna go kill somebody because like that's when he cuts this is the like saber his, tooth his in the mutant Yeah, costume. 
Like maybe, I don't know. There's even the way that it's being drawn or something. That's yeah, well, we a... still don't see any blood. No. We still don't see any chunks coming out of anywhere. But, um, I mean, it's pretty clear he's penetrating with his claws. <laughs> Sure, now you're doing it on purpose. <laughs> I don't mean sexually, you freak. <laughs> Although, you know, he's got him prone there. He could he could have his way with him if he was really pissed. Wear him like a meat puppet. Oh, man. This is some scary stuff. I think that's what I mean more. It's not that he's more feral in the fighting. It's just it seems like... I mean, this really is really creepy. And I think the brown and tan costume kind of adds to yeah. the uh, creep factor. Because when Snowbird goes all... Wolverine. Oh, I can't wait to get there. But we have to. Because we have to talk about this some more. Wendigo is so scary. I mean, he's basically... He can fight the Hulk to a standstill. And he's a cannibal. Yeah. I mean... I'm not going camping. Not ever. Not ever, ever, ever. No. Uh, But I wish he'd come back more. Because yeah. uh, you could do so much with this character in so many different titles. Pitch an Alpha Flight story where he comes back, Jerry. Yeah, Alpha. Well, I guess uh, Sasquatch would be an, that'd be an interesting fight. Yeah, Sasquatch can fucking lift a plane. He can, which was bullshit. <laughs> <laughs> Somebody got their math wrong. That's all I'm gonna say. Uh, so. Wolverine tries to rescue the chick and the baby, uh, but he's run away too soon. The Wendigo is a quick healer and gets the best of Wolverine, picks him up over his head. He's got <laughs> one hand on his leg, the other half on his torso, and it looks like he's about to pull an ultimate Hulk versus ultimate Wolverine on him and just tear him in half. But instead he settles for just bashing him like a rag doll into stuff. And Wolverine's response, that hurt. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, really? It looks like it hurts a lot. But in the middle of this, Burns still manages to sneak in an ass shot on the, the scared, starving lady that's been locked in the cave. <laughs> that yeah. old perv. That's a good pose there, too, buddy. Yeah. Yeah, she does a lot of crawling and sticking her ass in the air. Yep. They ruin it with that damn baby. <laughs> Don't they all? <laughs> they do. So Nightcrawler and Alpha Flight show up to save the day. We think. Um, Vindicator does a sweet blast to Wendigo's face. And then um, Shaman starts casting some spells. And then Snowbird steps in. Yeah. And this is really the first time Snowbird does something really cool. I mean, she kind of fought Storm a little bit in that one. Right, but this issue. is the first time where I'm like, all of a sudden in this couple panels, I'm suddenly taking Alpha Flight much more seriously. Yeah. Yeah. She turns into a white wolverine and savages the Wendigo. To the point where even Wolverine is like, what have you done? And then, uh, awesome panel of Snowbird as a Wolverine. She turns on them, and she's, like, her face is in complete shadow, and all you can see are her teeth and her eyes. Yeah. And she's just growling, and they're like, oh, That shit. panel scares the shit out of me, man. If I was a little kid reading the sight of a nightmare. Yeah. 
I'm a grown ass man. I have nightmares about this stuff. There's a there's a, later on, way later in the nineties, we're gonna get to an issue where like um Sabretooth was going after Gene, like basically kinda it's just a and I read it when I was camping and fucking had nightmares about Sabretooth coming to get me. Was it when he oh never mind. When he had the collar? I think so, yeah. It might have, whoever it, was doing that, it was truly yeah. scary as hell. Um, so this is really, I like this whole thing, the whole sequence, because the whole thing with Snowbird is that whatever animal persona she takes on physically, she also takes on their characteristic, every one of their characteristics, including their attitude, and, like, she loses herself in this Wolverine persona, um, much the same way that Logan wouldn't have bloodlust. Um, and so... Shaman wants to cast the spell he's going to use on the Wendigo on her to revert her to human. Wolverine's like, no, man. Save that. We don't want you too tired to save the Wendigo. And let me talk to her. And then here, we didn't touch on this earlier because there's just too much, but uh, Snowbird does not like Wolverine. Like she, They have a discussion about him earlier in the issue before they arrive. She hates his guts. But here... He talks her down, she springs at him, but then as she's springing, she reverts to her human form and falls into his arms and thanks him for saving her. Yeah. And right there is when, that's like the beginning of a really close relationship that carries on for years between the two of them. And is probably my favorite, leads to my favorite moment in the X-Men Alpha Flight miniseries, where... um he goes to save her because she's she's dying because of the events of that story. And he goes to save her from the humans that are trying to kill her and just wastes all of them. And when he returns with her shriveled body and, like, throws this one dead guy down on the table in front of everybody. And it's just like, whoa, badass Wolverine moment. Like, the most badass Paul Smith-drawn Wolverine moment of all time. Shit, man. Now I want to read that. Yeah. Oh, it's good. It's good. Uh, but this is where that relationship starts, where he is willing to face on five guys with magical powers, and, and one of who can control all the animals in the forest, and he turns every single one of them on Wolverine, and he fights them all to the death to save this chick. That's awesome. And, uh, later in the issue, I tweeted a picture of this panel, but at, at the very end, when they're saying their goodbyes, she says to herself, um... Uh, will I see Wolverine again? Who can say? Do I wish to? Yes. She's starting to fall for him. Oh, yeah. Who isn't? Well, at this point, it's really just Mariko and her that have shown any interest in him at all. Everybody else thinks he's a douche, but I think he identifies the people. This is kind of how I think I am. Like, I identify the people that I think I like. You know, people I think I can make a connection with, and if, if you're one of those people, I'll make the effort. Like, he, he puts the effort into his relationship with Snowbird and, and with Mac and Heather. Yeah. You know, those, those are friends, and he, like, he, he makes an effort with them. If you're not one of those people on his list, he's just like, oh, fuck you. I don't care about you. Yeah. I, this must be where I learned it. So if I'm a turd, it's, it's probably Claremont's fault. Probably. So don't blame me. Blame that jerk. I wish he would be my best friend. What else? What else oh, do you want to talk about here? Towards the end of the issue, don't they, uh, 
They disband Alpha Flight. Yeah. I forgot that happened, man. Yeah. I mean, they, they're, they're, he's basically like, uh, the government is disavowing any support, but really, stay together, and whenever you can, help Canada. Right. Just, just try to help Canada at all times. <laughs> and, and James is like, yeah, okay, okay, we'll do that. Yeah. He's kind of a pushover. Yeah. It's weird because, um, Mac is such a nice guy. He just doesn't seem cut out for this job at all. Yeah. And he, I mean, he says it all the time, but I, I gotta do it. There's a little bit of like Alex Summer syndrome there where it's like the constant like doubting of oneself starts to get tiresome. Yeah. Which is probably one of the reasons I like wasn't a, uh, huge Vindicator fan. I think, yeah, you know. Oh, I I thought he was really. But cool. But you read a lot of Alpha Flight. I didn't. Like, I mean, I'd like to go back and read some of that stuff. Especially a lot of it was done by Byrne, wasn't it? Yeah. Well, you know, I I think honestly, by the time I was reading Alpha Flight, um, he was already dead. Okay. He dies in issue nine or twelve or something like that. I, I honestly can't remember. But, okay. Um. So Heather had replaced him as Guardian, and uh. Can I get that backwards? Keep getting that backwards. He's Vindicator, she's Guardian. I think it must be the other way around then. Yeah. Because <laughs> you had it backwards last time. <laughs> Shit. Anyway, now we sound like idiots. Um, Dude, but I went back and I read... Alpha Flight, everybody tuned out. Yeah, right. Uh, there were those Marvel Saga issues that... It was a series that just recapped the yeah. history of the Marvel Universe. And they spent a lot of time on Alpha Flight because they were a hot property back then um and that's where i kind of was like oh i wish i was reading alpha flight back when he was still alive because he seemed really cool and then reading so these issues were really my only experience with it okay Uh, but i thought it was cool yeah yeah we just got to know that um the very last page of this is uh fred j dukes the blob getting busted out and it says, next, days of future, past. Yeah, can you imagine just sitting there, reading this for the first time? You don't know what days of future past means. Yeah, no. No idea what's coming. It's insane. But um, this is such a monumental event, the blob breaking out of prison. See, like, who gives a shit about the blob? But, right. I mean, this is the birth of the new Brotherhood of Evil Mutants. This is the birth of Freedom Force. This is the birth of the new X-Factor. This is the birth of so much shit that happens later. Is all because Mystique helped the Blob break out of prison. Yeah. It's just a little one-pager at the end of 141. So much comes out of that. Yeah. I mean, these guys were the villains for a while while I was reading the X-Men. and They were in every X-Title. Yeah. They were an X-Factor. Like, They're the villains in probably my all-time favorite comic. Which one? Avengers Annual Number 10. That's right. Which we'll get to. Yes, we will. Very soon. Which is secretly an X-Men book. It is. Stealth mode. All right, here we are. About to discuss the greatest two-part X-Men story based on a Brian Singer film. <laughs> <Did> I, what? 
<laughs> so, um, we have arrived at Days of Future Past. Sean, in the last episode when we were discussing the Dark Phoenix saga, you called it one of probably the two greatest X-Men stories ever told, and I assume this was the other one. You would assume correctly. I was going to try to fit in some joke in there about some story in the Austin years, but even I don't remember those. <laughs> I can't tell. You remember when Iceman was dating that prostitute? Yeah. The kid? I don't even know if she was a prostitute. She was a nurse. Oh, yeah. Same. Same. <laughs> if, I had, if I had walked up, if I had, like, ridden my bicycle, this came out a year before I was born, but if I had been alive and ridden my bicycle up to the comic book shop and got to the rack and saw this cover, I would have started to cry. Yeah. Yeah, everybody has seen this cover before. Uncanny X-Men 141 is an old-looking Wolverine and Kitty Pride standing in front of a wall with a spotlight on them, and behind them is a giant poster with pictures of all the X-Men uh, with either slain or apprehended stamped over them. And why... The people at Fox have not made a movie poster out of this image for Days of Future Past. That doesn't will exist? All, no. And it will always bother me, the fact that they didn't do it. What a seriously stupid... And I'm sure they're like, well, we don't want to put Slane on it or whatever to, you know, because we don't want... Spoilers. Spoilers, but I don't give a fuck. I It's a total missed opportunity. Yeah, man. Your your marketing department for that film has the greatest X-Men image for a movie poster to ever entice anyone. Could you imagine white-haired Wolverine fucking standing in front of Ellen Page with a poster? You know what I'm saying? And then you fucking blow it on that Xavier on a floating fucking toilet? <laughs> And I know why they did it, it's so they can fucking sell Jennifer Lawrence or Fassbender, and I get it, and I understand it, but, like, missing, really missing the time period where, like, movie posters were painted, like the fucking Star Wars posters. Yeah. You know, and, like, real pieces of art that, like, were meant to convey, what, 72 fucking trailers, 50 clips, and 42 late-night television show appearances showing clips, and Vine videos, and Instagram fucking videos... All could have been done in one single image. How would you have done that poster? Would you have done it as a photo? Would you have done it as the two figures as a photo with an illustration behind no, them? No, dude, make this happen. Make this real. Would and you have done, would you have commissioned John Byrne to do it? I hear he sucks at drawing likenesses by his own yeah. admission, so I don't know how that would have worked out. Forget the dude who did the Star Wars posters. Is that guy still alive? Uh, I don't. The original ones or the new the original one ones. sheets. Um, damn, I honestly can't remember who did it. But even dude, even a cast fucking photo, recreating this yeah. would have been better than the stuff they have right now. It would be a major spoiler though for all the people that, sure. that are walking in like, oh, superhero movies are really popular. Let's go see another one. They don't know what they're in store for. And until recently, until I saw the most recent trailer, I forgot what I was in store for. That, I saw that last trailer on Thursday night before Spider-Man. Uh-huh. And, like, actually hadn't seen it. And I must have, seriously, 
I believe that I like, like, got, like, the excited, like, throw my hand up in the air fucking three times in that last trailer of just seeing it that big and, like, realizing if they pull this off, if they pull this off, it will be the Avengers of the X-Men franchise if they can fucking pull it off. And even Ashley, like, looked at me and was just like, holy shit, that looks amazing. Like, that looks... She was, like, sucked in. I'll be honest. To me, it looks a little bit like the 90s X-Men cartoon where, you know, where, uh, like, they stuck... Gambit and Jubilee and everything. Yeah. Like, I'm a little bit worried they're just sticking Age of Apocalypse characters in where they don't belong. Yeah. Part of, because I'm a stubborn old man, like, that sets me off seeing that. Like, just stick to the guys that have gotten you this far. Right. I can see, you know, time has passed, I can see there being new characters. They're all gonna die anyway. It doesn't matter. I'm excited. But but that part of me is like, oh, but yeah, for the most part, I'm pretty excited about it. I wish it was Kitty that was going back instead of Wolverine. Yeah. Come on. Gotta do what you gotta do, man. Yeah. Alright. Yeah. Let's dive into what actually matters. You know what? I forgot to mention in the last, that last arc, the Wendigo arc, um, Burn is credited solely as the plotter. Yeah. Just, just that. I mean, I know there were a lot of arguments, mostly coming from Byrne, about how this was my idea. Yeah. You know, I should get all the credit. This was my idea. And Claremont was like, well, we kind of work on everything together. And he's like, nope, this one was mine. I want the plotter credit. So that was happening. And I think that was really building up to the end, which yeah. is what this is going to be. And boy, do they go out in style. Do it. Make it happen. Tell I just can't even imagine opening it up. I remember, like, because for me, this was such an iconic storyline. This is actually, these two issues, this is why they're actually in nice condition. And notice how compared to most of my comics, these are actually, like, they're not Jerry McDade condition. Right. Right. But they're not, like, I mean, they're not so bad. No, Anyways, they're nice. This is the very last birthday present that my mom got me before she passed. Aww. No, because it plays into the story so well, dude. Yeah. Gave me hope. Maybe one day, I'll meet a ragtag band of mutants. They can figure out some way to be able to travel back in time, change some things up. So this is also a story that every year I read on Halloween, because that's the night that it takes place. It takes place on October 31st, 1980. Yeah, and it was really chilling. Chilling? Chilling's not the right word. It was interesting reading that the future is set last year. Yeah. Well, that, okay, so that was that was what I wanted to talk about, too, was the fact that last Halloween, when I read the issue, it was extra special because the future that they come back from, this is going to get fucking confusing, <laughs> was last Halloween. Yeah. So whatever you were doing last Halloween... Was, was it Halloween in 2013, too, or was it just... I like to think that it was, I don't just because it. it makes it yeah. even cooler. Yeah. They don't ever specifically say that it's Halloween in 2013. They just say 2013. Dude, every day is Halloween. But I assume that the plan was so fucking awesome, and so high stakes, that it had to be at that exact moment. Yeah. Like they knew where Kitty would be. Oh, yeah. So, yeah, man. I mean, this... Story. It's it's 
it had to be for me, like, when I read it, you know, because, I mean, I had, when I was a kid, I had, like, a, a reprint, you know, paperback of it. Like, I'd read the story, but it was, like, actually getting the issues was, like, a big friggin' deal for me. Mm-hmm. Um, it's just, like, this played into every dystopian future story thing that I would ever read again. That one great episode of Heroes where they did this storyline. Yeah. You know? Yeah. Like, it all comes back to this. So, every Halloween, this issue. I That's a tradition I want to start with you. I think that's a great tradition. Yep, while people are out trying to pick up slutty police officers, slutty nurses, <laughs> slutty cowboys, <laughs> slutty doctors. <laughs> I'm yeah. talking guys and girls. All right? right. I said slutty cowboys. Head nurses. Yep. Yeah. I'm sitting at home, reading Days of Future Past, eating a shit ton of candy. Passing out some, too, though. Oh, I'm passing out candy and comics. Yeah, that's right. That's Tell right. everybody about that. What? That you do that. I pass out, along with candy, um, comic books for kids. This year, it was a it was a nightmare this year. I did not realize, because the year before, in my old neighborhood, I sat on a thing, maybe passed out one. Uh-huh. But this year unprepared. Really? Because I just give a handful of candy mm-hmm. and Ashley was like, you're going to run out. And I'm like, shut up. <laughs> <laughs> I didn't actually say that. <laughs> yeah. That's what, <laughs> what happened is we fucking ran out of candy. Then a mom asked us for cigarettes. <laughs> <laughs> Oh, you I'm, guys should see the neighborhood, Sean Luke. I'm not making It'd that make up. more sense. <laughs> you gotta smoke. No. No. So, but how do they receive the comics? Because I really want to do that. Um, you know what? I think in, in your neighborhood, it might work out better. Um, one kid was thrilled. Like, jumped up and down, super excited. A lot of them are confused, and they don't quite know what it is, so I don't really get to see the reaction until maybe they're at home. Mm-hmm. You know, they might open it up and be like, oh, that is cool. Um, that's why I make sure I give them candy, too, Yeah, along with the comic. Because I know that JJ, one of our friends from our local comic book store and CBR reviewer, um, he uh, he gives them the option. You get to pick a piece, of, and he keeps track. To see if comics see are, which and, wins. and supposedly, according to his little tally, ever since he started doing it, comics have been on the rise every year. Like the wow. kids come back. One kid actually came back. He told me a few days later with his dad. They like rerouted the neighborhood and asked if he had any more. Because JJ, you can buy comics that they specifically make for Halloween. It's like a free comic book day thing where they'll give you bundles oh, of them. That's what I wanted to ask. Yeah, is, is that yeah. what you did? Yes, I ordered them from the store, but they offer them. And DCBS too. Like you can buy bundles. So they're not really that expensive. It's like five dollars and you get like twenty five or fifty or something like that. Okay. Um Do you remember what time of year that is usually is it like three months ahead of time? Yeah. You should start actually paying attention now. I think that there's actually like a, a website. I'll try to look it up and remember yeah. so that Jerry can throw in and Editors note that website is Halloween Comic Fest dot com. 
I do remember not. seeing that in the Diamond catalog last year, but I didn't know what it was because yeah. I remembered I never saw anything like that in the store. Well, the Wednesday where, before... Where, like a free comic book day thing where they were handing them out. I didn't realize it was for you to, to order them. Oh, but see, out. stores should be doing it too. There's actually two free comic book days a year, and one is a Halloween one. That's like the Wednesday before Halloween you can pass out. Okay. But it doesn't get like the same type of push that right. free comic book day does. Mm-hmm. So this year, like it was, it was, it went well. Um, the kids, you know, like took them. And like I said, there was that one that was like super jazzed. Um, the only negative thing that I started to notice was, uh, I think parents at first were like, like, is that some type of religious pamphlet that you're pushing on uh, my kid? Right. Like there was a little bit of that. Yeah. You okay. Know. So. And then I closed up shop after I ran out of candy, which meant I didn't want to pass any more out because I wanted to read Days of Future Past. Yeah, we got work to do. Eating chocolate bars and touching my comics. What up? Don't you dare. Living on the edge. Now, I was going to tell you yesterday that as I was rereading these, I had a Reese's peanut butter egg. So good, Stegman still got them. And, uh, <laughs> I was like, Jerry would be so mad at me right now. Oh, uh, yeah. I ate pizza, deep dish pizza, as I was reading this. <laughs> nice. I'm slipping, man. I, I'm starting to feel like my collection is worth nothing. Uh-oh. Even if I wanted to sell it, I wouldn't get 10 cents an issue for it, and I just shouldn't care anymore. What I have know. I done to you? I don't know. This is a $50 omnibus, but I'm treating it like shit. I'm sorry. It's probably your fault. Probably, yes. Wow. That is an old school digression. That is days of future past <laughs> GX pot digression. Sorry. Alright, let's talk about this damn issue. Weakness. Yeah, let's talk about it. Are you, I'm a little, I'm a little afeard of it. No matter what, anyone listening to this, nothing we can say will ever live up to actually reading these two issues. Just know that. It's like discussing the Dark Phoenix Saga and discussing Days of Future Past. You need to be... You need to, if you have not read these stories, read them, but find the best way and opportunity. Like, don't just pick these two issues up on like, oh, it's Tuesday night, I got an extra half an hour before I gotta pick the kids up from dance recital. Like... Find some fucking time. Like, shut yourself off. Don't check Twitter. Don't check your voicemails. Don't look at your fucking phone. Like, devote yourself to diving in and, like, paying attention to every subtle thing in these stories. We are about to embark on some awesome shit. I agree, 100%. I think putting myself in that... Reading this is on what Halloween... Gave me that connection seriously reading this on halloween is fucking different because you're like everything's got a creepy vibe yeah on halloween you know yeah like there's people still running out around the streets at night like you have this whole like fucking i wanted to this year i was talking to ashley about how everybody does like you know like elaborate halloween things and i was like fucking this year i should do the tombstones in the yard like kitty pride walking up like, I yeah. want to do that in the yard. I want to build a fucking paper mache sentinel body coming out of my yard. <laughs> How awesome would that be? For about three people, it would be the greatest thing oh, they've ever seen. Exactly. 
Everyone else would give you a wedgie and call you a I don't nerd. care. It would be worth <laughs> it. To be able to pull up in my driveway on Halloween night and see a fucking sentinel body digging its way out of my front yard and Scott Summers and, you know, like, everybody's tombstones with their names, Ben Grimm. Spoilers! Come on. It would be amazing. Yeah, you should do that. I will. Don't call me for help, but I you won't. should do that. I'll call Finn. Finn will help me. Finn will help you. Finn loves you. Oh, my God. Finn ran up to me when I came over today and hugged me. Didn't even say anything. Just ran up super excited. It was awesome. That is good. Chinks in my little armor around my heart. All right, let's go. Issue 141 opens with an aged Catherine Pride, now going by Kate, running through the streets with a first aid kit. And she falls. Oh, and we should mention that this is a completely trashed New York City. Yeah. A nightmare. And another great title page. Burn fucking kills title pages. Yeah. I want to assume that everybody that listens to this show would have read this. I would hope so. But if you have not. If you haven't, you really need to go find these. You really do. Especially before the movie comes out. Like, if you yeah. have not read this, and you're planning on going to see X-Men Days of Future Past, please, there are so many ways that you can buy these. I'm not a fucking digital person at all. Like, I would much prefer everyone go and, you know, search out the back issues, but I don't care. Find any way that you possibly can other than pirating them. Read them before the movie comes out. If you have not. Yes. And if you have, read it again. Yeah. Just your, you know? Yeah. Yeah, so, the kitty falls, tumbles in, and there's a bunch of rogues down there. Really great world building, and just the first couple pages of this story, I mean, I'm gonna digress again. I'll save it. I'll save it. Go ahead. But I mean, just like, all these characters look cool, I mean, I remember reading this, they looked a lot like, because I'd grown up, like, watching the G.I. Joe cartoons, so they look like a bunch of the Cobra bad guys that, you know. The Dreadnoughts? Yes. They look like <laughs> the Dreadnoughts to me. Yeah. Yeah, except the one dude with the top hat. Yeah. And I'm sure there was probably even, like, a little bit of a, you know, Warriors yeah, vibe. That's, yeah, in the Warriors yeah. is what I was thinking. Yeah. yeah Which I've still never seen. Really? Yeah. I I have to see it so bad. Although the Baron was pretty pissed off at me last year when I told him that I hadn't seen Escape from New York. Yeah. Yeah. I haven't seen that either. Oh. And I, what I else? hate New York, man. That's, that must be what it is. I must just hate New York. You're the worst. But I love the fact that, that Kate Pride at this moment is fighting off these, uh, rogues, but they're getting the best of her. And they're, they're talking about how they're gonna flay her alive. And then all of a sudden, there's a bright white light behind the character, and you see old Wolverine with his Reed Richards. <laughs> the what first it, rendition. Yeah. Yeah, it seems like everybody who's middle-aged is uh has that Reed Richards stripe of white yeah. hair. Except poor Jerry McDade has just got the most fucked up head in the world. Why didn't I get this? This sucks. Middle age sucks. <laughs> It's such a cool, even his outfit is cool, because it's very, like, it's the old military bomber jacket, you know? Like, it yeah. just looks like your grandfather's coat, like... 
He's packing heat. Yeah. He's got a gun, so, yeah. Everybody that wanted to give Stegman's run shit on Wolverine, eat, eat it. Yeah. Because know your history. And Wolverine starts to take him down, does, succeeds. And him and Kitty set off, and they're they're talking about their plan. I don't want to go too in-depth on what they're talking about, because I really cannot stress enough how much I want people to read these issues. Yeah. So we're trying to stay spoiler-free, then? No, not spoiler-free, but I mean, you know. Yeah. There's too much awesome stuff. Yeah, a couple things to note is, uh, I'm sorry, Kate is wearing a a green um, jumper that's got an M painted on it. Yeah. So this is the first time we we're seeing um, mutants marked as mutants, something that will be revisited many times in the and future. And I love the fact too that like when when uh, Kate and Logan are talking, like she mentions the fact that he's uh, joined the Canadian Resistance Army against the Sentinels, and they start to explain like how the Sentinels took over, and uh, it's just cool to see that. This to me, when I was younger, was really so important because it it ends in such a cool way of like the ambiguity of whether or not they succeeded and the idea that this is like first placed into your head of like there's alternate versions out there's a possibility of alternate timelines like I know that everybody talks about like Battle of the Atom the most recent X-Men crossover and they're like oh there were so many alternate versions of the X-Men running around, and it's like, that's amazing, that's awesome. Like, I don't, I can't get enough of when they do that, like, this is another version of, like, what might have been, or what could possibly be. Mm-hmm. I don't know. Like, I just, there's just some, the X-Men do that really well. Like, different versions of our characters in alternate timelines. And, like, it's nice to know that, like, this is where this starts, and that this... Right. We might one day see this Wolverine again. Like, there might be... I'm going to go all Doctor Who on you here for a second. If they ever do a Wolverine-verse instead of Spider-verse. Yeah. (laughs) Like, you'll see this guy again. Yeah. Or even, no, I mean, like, even in the future, like, one day we're going to start to see Wolverine's temple start to gray. Like, you're going to see it lead into, like, a version of this guy. Well, I was going to make a joke about uh, Miller and McNiven's Old Man Logan. Yeah. That's not this guy. Yeah. I like this guy better. I like this guy better, too. He deserves better than what he gets. Yeah, so Kate and Logan discuss their plan to, uh, what is it, jam the Sentinels? Their sensors, anyways. And, uh... Just setting up the scope of how bad things have gotten. Not just in New York, but worldwide. And at this point, there's no indication that Hey, this is, we're just jumping ahead to show you what might have happened in this, yeah. in this future story. It's just, as far as you know, what just happened in the last 30 years? Where'd yeah. they go? Why is it so messed up? And, um, it kind of culminates with her going into an internment center guarded by sentinels and she walks through a graveyard that contains the bodies and the remains of almost everybody she knows, including the entire Fantastic Four and nearly the entire X-Men roster. Yeah. Really powerful, too, just, like, seeing all those names, you know? Yeah. 
imagining a time when they'd all be dead. Yeah. Like the, the heaviest of hitters. Just all gone. And she was reunited with uh, an aged Storm and a Colossus, who also has the salt and pepper thing going. Yep. And in wheels, a guy who looks like he could be Charles Xavier, but we've already seen he's dead. Turns out it's Magneto. Confined to a wheelchair. And we see an adult Franklin Richards, mm-hmm. who was paired with a red-headed woman. Named Rachel. Named Rachel. Only as Rachel, right? I yep. think she's no further indication who she might no. be. So they set forth uh, some really great stuff between Kate and Colossus talking about how their love will find a way if this plan works and it wipes out their timeline that no matter what, like, I don't know, just a really great moment. And we are spoiled because we saw their relationship blossom. We knew that they potentially had a future together until AVX ruined yeah. all of that. I'm not bitter. Um, but this, I mean, they haven't never even had a date at this point. Yeah. So as a first-time reader, when this is new, this must have been kind of exciting. Like, she showed interest, that's and then I'm you s- jump ahead and they're married. Yeah, like I, that's what I'm saying. I like, fucking love this stuff when they do this. Because it's like, it has the possibility of working out, but it has, you know, like, I don't know. This is like the bread and butter of the X-Men universe. And it's all from this story. I mean, this has become what the X-Men do. You yeah. fuck around with the X-Men's timeline. You introduce alternate versions. All these things happen. This but was, this is where all that came from. This, this story. Was perfectly. And, I'm just gonna say it now, I'm not saving it anymore. This was done in two issues. Yep. Sorry, but fuck Age of Apocalypse. It's fu- it's great, whatever. It's fine, whatever. They did more in two issues here than Age of Apocalypse did in however many crossovers over, spread over how many issues. It was, it was good, but um, anybody who's like, man, Age of Apocalypse was the best. Needs to check themselves because this is the best. I don't. And this is that's all Age of Apocalypse is is except instead of Sentinels being in control of everything. Oh, but what if we made it the mutants that were in control? Otherwise, it's the same fucking thing. Sorry. Okay, yeah, but rant over. If we didn't repeat stuff like that, we'd basically be done. Everything would be done. Well, that's true. That's true. I mean, it's fine that it exists, but you cannot try to tell me that that was superior. See, I don't story. consider Days of Future Past to be a crossover. Like an no, event, it's not. And I don't it, I don't think of it as an event. It, they didn't my really arg- have events. If my, argu- my argument wouldn't be against Age of Apocalypse, my argument would be against how fucking long it takes for stories to be told now. Yeah. This was two issues, and this changed everything. Yep. So sometimes, like, I, I like long... I like the fact that Stevie Wonder, Stevie Wonder. Yeah, there it is. Stevie Hunter was introduced in 139 and is still showing up in 308. Like, I love things. I, you know, one of my, we'll get to it when we get to it, but Bishop finding that message of Gene talking about the X-Men being killed and it being years before you ever saw the completed video of what she was actually saying. I fucking love shit like that as much as I love Days of Future Past. What I don't like is everything taking six issues or a year 
People are always talking about, well, how can we get people into comics? How can we get new readers into comics? If I don't like a storyline in comics, I know that it's going to be either six issues or 12 issues in Marvel Comics right now, the way that it's done for trade. Yeah. So I can check out in books for six issues and know that I get a new storyline, which, I mean, I guess is great for some people. But it kind of like, if you're if you're not into something... All right, I got six issues. I got six months to wait before I'm going to be. Well, unless it's a book that's being double shipped. True. And then it's two months. You know. (laughs) But like uh, this past week, Hickman mentioned that like he's going to be done with in May of 2015, right? So it's like anybody who is really anti-Hickman on the can just be like bowing out until May of 2015, Hmm. you know? Although I appreciate the fact that he plans out kind of in this, like I like that he has long-term plans. Yeah. So it's weird. It's just, you know, it works some ways, it doesn't others. I feel like some stories are stretched out in ways that they don't need to be. Uh-huh. I believe the term you're looking for is decompressed. Yes. I'm not a big fan of that. So anyways, that was a digression again. Sorry. Man, we keep doing it. But this, I mean... So much of the X universe hinges on this storyline. There's a lot. Yeah. There's a lot that's affected by it. And so there's a lot to talk about in relationship to it. And this is a good example of a story that everyone basically considers a classic, which is done in two issues. So a lot of the time when the decompressed way the comics are done now, a lot of the times this is what's looked at as, hey, it can be done the other way. Yeah. So they go through the whole plan of how they're going to send Kitty back into the mind of her younger self. Rachel's a big part of it, which is awesome. I don't know who she is yet. And she does it. She sends Kate back in time to insert her persona into her past self. Yeah. Cut to her past self. She's wandered stupidly into the danger room because the door was unlocked. So she figured they hadn't started yet. But they are mid-training session. And uh, everybody's scrambling to save her without getting chopped to pieces themselves. Yeah. I really do love danger room stuff. <laughs> like, when they're in the danger room, like, yeah. it's always... It's such a big... Like, I, um... You know the, uh... How in Avengers, when they pick the team, like, there's always a big to-do about that issue where they pick the team. I always feel mm-hmm. like when the X-Men do a danger room session like there's always someone new introduced so it makes Mm. sense obviously because kitty's new i don't know because there was a big danger room in x-men number one in 91 so i always feel like something's about to happen when they do some really important danger room scene yeah yeah probably not true at all or have anything to do with anything they probably were just like fuck we need to fill a couple pages let's have them fight the danger room or that that flight kid yeah. Getting killed. Yeah. Dang. That was in the danger room. It was. It's a dangerous room. It's a dangerous room. I but the what what comes next is so awesome. Yeah. She they decide that she's ready for her first danger room session, so they leave her in there by herself. But previous to this, um Nightcrawler's talking to her. And again, in a oh, really, right. really great John Byrne panel. You know, you can see just how 
she's trying to be nice to him, but she's definitely really standoffish to it. Mm-hmm. And uh, Nightcrawler's still trying to uh, open up to her. Yeah, he's really and, turning on the charm. And uh, trying to get her to like him, but she's <laughs> still a little standoffish. It's like the nicer he tries to look, the creepier. Right. <laughs> like, he's, like he smiles, and all that does is bare his fangs. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Poor guy. So now Kitty's in the in the danger room all by herself. And, uh... and the way they draw the panel, it's a little bit ruined by Claremont's wordiness because half the panel is is word balloons. But you just see this tiny silhouette of this 13-year-old kid in front of the door and then this vast empty space in front of her. Yeah. And they are, they've tasked her with walking from one end of the room to the other. And she just closes her eyes, takes a deep breath, and starts walking in a straight line. And meanwhile, chaos breaks out around her. Everything in there is trying to smash her or grab her or drop her into a pit. And she just, she's phased through the whole thing and walks right through. And they're all just cracking up. Yeah. Because this has been specially designed to test her. By Xavier. By Xavier. And none of it even comes close to doing anything to her. Back to the drawing board. And then as she, uh, as she finished, she gets the, uh, mind blast. Did you notice when she goes to open the door at the end, there's a, a brick, brick wall, wall behind the door? What's that all about? Maybe that was the Danger Room's last ditch effort to get her to, like, <laughs> stupidly <laughs> open the door and walk in. All confident. Yeah. It should have been, you ever see the Jackass movies? Yeah. The one where they, they have the thing where you, I think you ring the doorbell and a giant boxing yeah. glove pops out. <laughs> That would have been awesome. Yep. <laughs> but instead of a giant boxing glove. Instead of that, we we get the the plot moving forward, unlike our conversation. I wouldn't know. That would have been an arcade move. The boxing glove. Yeah. So uh the young the elder Kate Pride inserts herself into the young Kitty Pride's mind. <laughs> <laughs> Oh. oh man, he's that's, only thirteen years old. Hey man, old. that's what that's what part of uh, Burns' problem was was yeah. the kiss. Oh, you think he didn't like it? I there was a he made a comment about it once. Or Did she something. kiss herself at he, the end? It's so I see. I was waiting for an actual kiss because I had just recently read that story a couple months ago. Uh huh. But it turns out that I think it it happens as she's like. Passing. passing her, yeah. yeah. And he, he doesn't draw it at I all. I don't think it's drawn. I think it's just written, which I think yeah. is what pissed Burn off. I love that. I I mean, we'll get to it, but I love that. I don't see anything wrong with it. So, uh, they pull Kitty into the little med lab, and uh, as she starts to awaken, this is, a, this is a pretty awesome panel. She's so excited to see Kurt because she's the older Kate, and he's dead where she's from now. And so she's so excited that she jumps up and she hugs him. And she's like, oh, my God, Kurt, you're alive. And uh, that's when it starts to dawn a little bit on the team that she's acting a little bit weird. Because, you know, not ten minutes earlier, she was completely skeeved out by Nightcrawler. Right. I didn't... Oh, my God, dude. Like, I didn't even put that together. Oh, yeah. Like, the... Yeah. 
literally a moment ago she was scared out of her pants. Right, and now she's and so now excited because she's hugging him. She, and we don't know like, how long he's been dead to her. So it's been years probably since she's seen him. Yeah. I try to credit myself as an observant reader, but I completely missed that. Damn it, Sean. Stop being better than me. No. (laughs) I'm not better than you. You remember tons of stuff. I just remember Nightcrawler stuff. Yeah, you do. So she starts to tell them the story that she's from the future. And, uh... Some pretty awesome, there's like a really cool, which I hope, God, I hope that they do the panel where she's discussing, yeah. I don't think they can. No, they, they can't do that particular panel, but I mean, this whole sequence of events while Kate's telling them in the younger kitty body of like what's happening, mm-hmm. I hope that we see all of this happen in kind of a really great like montage, montage of just you see the Sentinels rise of power through time. Because uh-huh. I think that would be a great way to toss in some Easter egg X-Men characters, you know, that maybe haven't been announced as cast members or whatever, to show them fighting Sentinels through the years, mm-hmm. some of them dying, blah, 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 and this, like, great montage of what's happening. And, I mean, obviously, it wouldn't be Kitty. It'll be Wolverine. But, like, that'd be... I hope they don't gloss that over with, like, oh, here's some jokes for Wolverine. Like, I hope they really sell the fact that, like, it's fucked. Like, we have to change things or everyone's going to die. Mm -hmm. Like, they need to sell this the way they did in these panels. Yeah, and it's, I mean, you lose a little bit of the power of it. Like, obviously, if you've read this story, everybody's going to, everybody in the X-Men universe is probably going to die somewhere in this movie coming up. Yeah. But in this story, you have the whole Marvel universe to work with. And so she's telling them that people like Ghost Rider and Captain America and freaking Doctor Doom have died. The Hulk. I mean, where do we have to be where all these people are wiped off the map? It's nuts. So, I mean, if they're not worried at this point, they should be. The idea that that could happen. Really scary. And then, like, it was one of those things where, like, I was reading this as a kid. I'm like, they're going to figure it out. And, like, you're, so you go from this page of just, like, this is how it happened, this is how they turned against us, and then it cuts to 2013, and you've got them going through the tunnels to try to sneak in. Yeah, like, you're you're saying you've got this impression that even if she can't save the past, the X-Men that are left are going to save the future. Yeah. That's, that's as I'm, you know, because it's like a kid, and you're like, good guys are always going to win, good guys are always going to win. Yeah. And, and so you, this is the first time that you've cut to 2013 since she's there, and four panels into it, Franklin Richards just gets incinerated, because the Sentinels have tracked him down. Yeah. So now already, out of the small group of heroes that you've got, you've got a wheelchair-bound Magneto, who sacrifices himself. I don't know if he's... That's done off-panel, but it's, it's assumed that he's gonna create a distraction and sacrifice himself so that they can make their move. And Rachel's freaking out because she's trying to keep contact with Kitty. Mm-hmm. And she can feel Franklin, who is, I believe, her husband Yeah. at yep. this time. So her husband dies right in front of her. So now you've got Rachel, Logan, Peter, and Aurora left. It must have been hard for Byrne to draw that. Being Having his history with the Fantastic Four. 
Yeah. Um, and his love of the Fantastic Four to to kill off somebody who's a perpetually four years old. You know? I think, too, it also probably sold the severity of the storyline. Like, yeah. you know? <laughs> so, uh, see a great old-school fastball special with an old Wolverine. That produces great results. No reason to expect any anything else. No, of course, you throw a Wolverine and a Sentinel, good things are going to happen always. Yeah. He starts to get crunched, though, but Storm saves the day. And uh, Colossus topples a building on him. And three Sentinels crushing all three of them. So these guys have a shot, man. They lost a lot of people, but the three best X-Men are still left. They can do this. Meanwhile, uh, Mystique is revealed to be behind the escape of the Blob, and she has assembled the new cast of the new Brotherhood of Evil Mutants. Such a cool-looking like cast of characters in their... Even their civilian clothes. Like, you can see that there's personality. Yeah. Like, Byrne was great at that. And, you know, uh, so this, this group, uh, for those who don't know, um, includes Destiny, who's her longtime best friend, uh, the blind precog, uh, Avalanche, who can create waves of, uh, disintegrating material in front of him, um, Pyro, who can control flames, can't make his own flame, but he can control yes. flames that exist. And, of course, the Blob, who in the last issue was uh, escaped from prison and has joined the team. Now, I feel like we haven't seen a ton of Mystique. We have not point. seen Mystique okay. until this issue. Okay. She, we saw her in Miss Marvel. Okay. But And then Avengers Annual 10 has not come it out has yet. has not come out yet. So, no, But we'll get there. Because yeah. this is the formation of the team that yeah. is in... I don't understand why they didn't do this costume in the movies. This is Mystique's? an awesome costume. Yeah. I yeah, like her belt. Yeah. And the way the way that it like flows down the front and back but it's open on the sides with the boots. It you can't tell if it's a bodysuit or if it's gloves and boots. Right. I, I don't know. I just always really like this costume, so I think it's a shame that they went with the whole like yeah, scales man. and short yeah. hair and. I know. agree. I agree. I don't know why they made that decision. I think this is a million times better. And if I was Jennifer way Lawrence sexier. or Rebecca Romaine Stamos sitting in a makeup chair for eight hours, I'd be like, "Why didn't you guys do this? This costume is awesome." That belt. Yeah, I think. If I was an artist drawing an X-Men book, I'd want Mystique in every panel so I could draw that belt. I've never drawn that belt. It looks like it's probably really friggin' hard, so I'm probably wrong. But the, all the little skulls, and they're all gadgets. Yeah. She never does that anymore. They need to bring that back. Yeah. Now that she's a big player in the X-Universe, they should bring that belt back with the little gas canisters and explosive devices and stuff. I love it. She had the one... Acid one that like melted Colossus's face in an issue coming up. Do that. More of that. Yeah. And I love the fact that like the team kind of 
as she's just basically explaining, like, they've got to get, you know, prepared for what they're about to do. I like the fact that, uh, Blob starts to get pissed that he's taking orders from a woman. Yeah. Which gives him a good excuse to kind of show off Pyro and Avalanche powers. Uh-huh. Yeah. It's a good little way to do that quickly, so you, as the reader, you're, like, familiarized with... Okay, that's what these guys can do. Yeah, it's smart. You don't have to spend an entire issue introducing each character. Right. It's done in one page. And Pyro, for some reason, I always thought was Australian. Yeah. To this day, I, I was like, oh, he's Australian. And rereading this, he's English. Where? Why did I think I, he was Australian? It's probably because it's part of the X-Men cartoon. And I think they're probably... Because I thought that too, so there's got to be something out there yeah. that says he is. Because that's me and you both thinking that. <laughs> so to date, every English character that's appeared in a book wears an ascot. Yeah. <laughs> Must be true. Must be. Or at least it was in 1980. So then it cuts to the United States Senate, where Senator Robert Kelly is uh, discussing mutants. He's... <sighs> Witness Professor Charles Xavier there, and Moira McTaggart. Yeah, so this is the committee, it's a committee meeting, I forget what committee it is, this is terrible, why did I even bring it up? But he's basically starting the argument that they need to address the mutant problem. Yes. And uh Professor X and Moira McTaggart are there as expert witnesses to give testimony as to why they're not a problem. And he's very receptive to having him there. I don't think that Kelly at this point... No, is, not at all. He's not 100% um, anti-mutant. He's not a mutant hater. But he does see that pow- super-powered beings are a risk to national security. Yeah. And I this- thought it was cool that they had... um When Logan and Warren shows up, they do the whole, like, the camera guy and stuff. It's like, oh, it's getting serious. Billionaire, playboy, you know, outed mutant. Uh-huh. You know, Warren Worthington is showing up. So you can feel that this is kind of like a big thing that probably even people, you know... Maybe are watching live on TV. Yeah. Yeah. Like, this isn't just a Senate hearing that, like, you know, only the people really interested in politics are paying. This is something that's, like, probably been broken into. You know, Mm -hmm. soap operas are getting cut into while this is going on. And especially... After what's about to happen, a guard starts to notice that one of the walls in the courtroom, or in the Senate house is, uh, cracking. And all of a sudden the wall starts to come down. And in come the Brotherhood of Evil Mutants. I still don't understand. I mean, this is how comics were written, I guess. But I don't understand why you would call yourself evil. They don't see themselves as evil, Uh, do they? No. Well, it turns it around on everybody later on when they become Freedom Force. Yeah. But it's oh, such a cool, such a cool group of characters. And they are going to get to know each other very well, but this is the first time that the X-Men and the Brotherhood come face to face and wage war. End issue 141 and... Begin issue 142. And boy, do I have a story about this, but I have to peek. So issue 142 features a cover drawn by John Byrne? No. 
You might even think it if you were to look at it. Because it sure does look like John Byrne, and I always thought it was. Uh, but there's only one signature on the cover, and that is that of Terry Austin. Because it turns out that the cover that John Byrne drew for this issue was lost temporarily in the mail and did not make it to Austin in time for his deadline. So he drew the cover to this issue. He also drew the cover to 143. Hmm. There you go. Yeah, that's pretty awesome. So he's pretty badass. I mean... Classic cover. It is a classic cover. and I mean, the storm is kind of eh. But the way he draws a disintegrating Wolverine there in the in the foreground is not bad. And it prepares you for what's about to happen. This issue, everybody dies. So, Sean, what I wanted to tell you about this issue is that this is the first comic I ever bought at a Comic-Con. The first Comic-Con I ever went to. Nice. I bought this issue, and I bought Avengers 92, and I bought an issue of the Human Torch. Nice. Uh, where he fights Pacepot Pete. <laughs> um, I really ran the spectrum. Yeah. From good to bad in that. It was, I, well, I walked up to one table. I bought them all from one dealer and it was so overwhelming. I was probably 11 or 12. Yeah. It was so overwhelming walking up to a dealer and seeing all those boxes. I could buy any of this stuff. I didn't know where to start. Yeah. I got lucky though. Unfortunately, it was only half of the story, but uh that cover, I knew that's what I wanted to read. I wanted to see everybody die. Now you get your chance. Quick recap on the splash page on the front of, of what's come before, yep. and uh an awesome half splash of the two teams facing oh, that, off. I love that panel. Like, so good, because I think sometimes that, like, in recent years, like, when they moved away from the family aspect and more into, like, the military strike force type of thing that they did later on. Like, I miss this because it's, like, sometimes our heroes get a little too amped up. Like, a little too powerful. Mm-hmm. And this just looks like such a cool image of, like, these are evenly matched teams. And right now, after the way things have gone for the past 40 issues or whatever with the ups and downs, I don't know how this is going to end. Are they going to be able to defeat these guys? Yeah. Like, I just really liked when they were, like, I just miss us not fighting us. I'm saying us like I'm one of them. (laughs) I miss them not fighting each other all the time. Yes. We need some superhero bad guy teams. And when they start to get popular, don't turn them into good guys. Let Juggernaut stay a bad guy. Let Deadpool not be Wile E. Coyote. Like, you know, know? I really was rooting for Juggernaut to be a good guy. I, I feel a little bit bad because he does make such an awesome bad guy. But I, I just really like him so much that if he turned into a good guy, like I'd probably see him all the time. I and hated, so I was fully behind that. I hated the Austin stuff, but what I did like out of that stuff was Juggernaut being friends with Fishface or whatever that kid's name was. Yeah, like I liked that kid. Yeah, actually. that was cool. That so, um, you know, Kelly's obviously pretty pissed. This <laughs> happened. Sends the marshals to go arrest him. Good idea. Yeah, terrible idea. And they get. Their ass is handed to him by Blob. And Avalanche goes after the X-Men. Yeah, they were not prepared for that. This is uh the the fight that they had in the Mutant Massacre where the first time they go up yeah. against the Marauders is kind of the same thing. 
they don't know who these guys are at all. They're not prepared, but the Brotherhood is fully prepared to fight the X-Men. Plus... And, and they whip their asses in the Well, thing. and they're fully prepared, and they whip their asses because Nightcrawler is teleporting around, punching Avalanche, and uh, Destiny yells out where, because she's got the precog ability, that Nightcrawler's going to teleport next. So Avalanche is able to take him out. Pyro goes after Colossus to see if he melts. This is... Those two are such a cool, like, Pyro becomes Colossus's nemesis, almost. There's that issue not too far from here where um, Pyro heats him up white hot. Yeah. And then Avalanche drops the liquid nitrogen truck on him and it flash freezes him. Yeah. Oh, man. So many great fights between Pyro and Colossus. I just love those guys fighting each other. And I think, too, in this particular fight is where we see Storm finally start to realize that she has to lead, that she needs to stop doubting herself and being upset about what happened with Cyclops and just go, because Wolverine's about to slash Pyro because he knows that he's using the fire extinguisher, but Storm kind of hurricane winds him out of the way. Yeah, which, to me, I was with Wolverine. I was like, what are you doing? Yeah, and then uh, Angel... Which I really liked the fact that it was Angel because it was like earlier in, you know, a few issues ago, he was kind of messing up and yeah. getting rusty. Yeah. But here he showed having dealt with Scott for all those years, like his ability to kind of be able to read what the leader's doing and realizes that, hey, there's a bunch of cameras pointing at us. We probably shouldn't <laughs> gut Pyro. <laughs> right. Otherwise people are going to think we're pretty bad. So, uh, yeah. so it cuts to <laughs> I more. I read that and I was like, Oh, oh yeah. yeah, yeah, I guess so. Okay, I see that. Good call, buddy. Good call. <laughs> and then, uh... <laughs> Keep flying Sprite up into the clouds. Yeah. <laughs> you need to be that high. So then, uh, it cuts to Moira and Xavier, and, uh, and a female cop runs up, and uh, she's like, don't worry, I'll protect you guys, we gotta get you out of here. Little do they know, shape-shifting mystique. Pulls out one of her skulls, and it's yeah. a gas canister with nerve gas. She nerve gasses him. Moira collapses to the floor. Professor X only just kind of slumps over because he's already sitting down. Right, and uh, <clears throat> and Destiny brings up the fact that she can't read the future as well because there's an anomaly that she can't pick up. I don't know about you, but when she says that, it like makes my stomach a little queasy. Like, there's there's something that generates a lot of dread when she says that. Yeah. Like, the fact that she can't see what's going to happen. And it might be because the same thing happened during the Mutant Massacre. They go down into the tunnel, and she just had that meltdown. She's like, Mystique, we have to leave right now. Something really bad's about to happen. Everybody down here is going to die. we got to go. Yeah. And she's having the same thing here. I don't remember if I read this before I read Mutant Massacre or not. I'm betting I didn't. But when she said that, I was like, oh, God, that yeah. can't be good. So then we get a quick, um, in the next couple panels, we get a quick recap of the process that Kitty went through to be where she's at now. And uh, then it cuts back. Forward. Oh, yeah, sorry. Yeah, see? Forward in damn, time. Damn, Michael J. Fox. <laughs> And we see the X-Men's, the beginning of the X-Men's assault on the base that they're attacking. Which is, uh, surprisingly in the Baxter building. 
there's one sentinel standing guard outside and storm zaps it yeah. and everything's going according to plan they sneak in through the front doors find an elevator wolverine shoots an electric eye from a beam in his belt buckle that allows them access to the elevators yep then they're on the elevator and storm a little bit freaking out because of her claustrophobia but she said it wouldn't take much to turn this tiny box into a death trap. So then it cuts back to 1980. You see, obviously, the X-Men still fighting the Brotherhood. But uh Kitty takes off because she realizes that, like, hey, Senator Kelly's nowhere around. That's my mission. Something happens to him. I've got to go find him. Storm whirlwinds everybody out of the building forcefully. Yep. Except for Colossus and Blob, who are still fighting. But Colossus does not remain in the building for long. He gets whammoed. He does indeed. Blob reveals that he can now control his density. He's been practicing that yeah. while he was in jail. And uh, tries to flatten Colossus by jumping on top of him. Uh, oh man, the two of them fighting is so good. I love Colossus. Anytime he fights Juggernaut or the Blob, I'm still... Has Juggernaut ever fought the Blob? I would love to see that fight. Yeah, I'm not sure. I don't know. I'm sure it must have happened by now. We'll find out in the reread. Yeah. Because we're going off book two. I mean, we're going to start reading Marvel fanfares, and I would have loved to have known about that Machine Man issue because I would have read it. Yeah. You yeah, know? Yeah. Um, I really want to try to get as much as we possibly can into it. So uh, a tank rolls up and shoots off some concussive cannon fire, which... Of course, accidentally hits Colossus. Right. Not, or the, not. The, yeah, just happy to hit anything. <laughs> hey, we hit something awesome. Based on the legendary Iron Man repulsor ray technology. Yes. And some of the army soldiers are using flamethrowers, which is a bad idea against Pyro. <laughs> he creates this pretty sweet fire monster. Which looks an awful lot like uh, a Mook Farad or whatever else his name. The Shadow King. When you remember the, yeah. his final form when uh, Xavier aces him, I thought it looked like the shit monster from Kevin Smith's Dogma. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that too. It's pretty awesome. Wolverine calls out the Blob, who is hiding behind a chunk of street that he's pulled up. If you're so invulnerable, how come you're so scared of my claws? Yep. But and then. then uh, He's set upon by Pyro. Ooh. Storm puts it out. He came really close to dying that time, yeah. Sean. Yeah. Oh, it's weird. hurt so bad. That, that could not have been pleasant. No. Um, but I miss this Wolverine, where that, you know, a couple seconds of that would have been enough to finish him off. Yep. No, you can I totally... keep your, your healing factor and still be at risk. Yes. You know, I don't, I don't understand why it has to be, he's either invincible or he can't have a healing factor. Yeah. No, when we, when we get to issue 205, we're gonna have a really long chat about <laughs> the difference between how to do Wolverine correctly. Yeah. He can't be the X-Men Superman. He can't just run in and fucking stab people and like, not take any hits. Like, I liked the Wolverine that this knocks him out because otherwise you just got Wolverine running around. Yeah. 
I love the fact that as Nightcrawler's checking on him, he gets attacked by another Nightcrawler, so now you can't tell which is which. Oh, that's so awesome, too, because Nightcrawler's standing behind him, and you see his hands kind of closing in around Wolverine's throat, and he's like, let me help you. (laughs) (laughs) Kind of help are you giving? But yeah, they're punching. And somebody points out they could have very easily settled which was the right Nightcrawler if he had just teleported. Yeah, true. But uh, he's into this fight against Mystique. Yeah. And revealed in this issue... Well, not yet. Don't get to that yet, because another one of the really great Storm taking over the Cyclops leadership role, like I said, I think this is one of the first. She manages to calm Wolverine down and gets him to kind of sheathe his claws, because he was about to go after basically both Nightcrawlers to figure out which one was which. Right. Well, he had the right idea. The one who's the real Nightcrawler will get out of the way by teleporting. Yeah. Exactly. And he said, and she, but she looks at him and she's like, I am the leader of the X-Men. While that is so, you will use your claws when I command. No other time. I think this is, I think this is what Slurmo doesn't like about Storm. Yeah. But, uh, she probably in the end did the right thing. She, she, I mean, you definitely have to assert your leadership in the beginning. Right. When you take a leadership role. Like, people Although, have to believe you're the leader. While they're chit-chatting, they unfortunately do then get fucked up by Avalanche. <laughs> yeah. I mean... But I love... Like, this is like this is something that would not... What's about to happen to get rid of the blob would not happen in comics today, I fear. Because I just think that people, you know, they... It's like... I understand the idea of wanting the characters to grow up with you uh-huh. while you're reading this, because... If you were to read this now, it might seem hokey, but there's a little bit of this that I miss. Because to get rid of the blob, Colossus grabs this big steel bar and uses Wolverine basically as leverage to basically make a uh, makeshift teeter-totter. Yeah, he, yeah, he, give me a big enough lever and I can move the world. Yeah. Here's the problem. As a sciencey guy, looking but, at this, I love this as a kid. But as a grown-up now, I'm looking at this, and he's got the lever backwards, man. You use the long end to do the work. Yeah. He made this... It would have been easier to pick Blob up by himself than to use the lever like this. True. So, Burn blew it a little bit. He did. Wolverine needed to be closer. (laughs) But you're right. No, you're right. It's a cool idea. He he uses Wolverine as a fulcrum, and crams an I-beam under the Blob's junk and throws him into the air with it. And once he's got him in the air, Sean... Oh, Colossus punches him right in the nuts. Right in the nuts! <laughs> crom! <laughs> Anytime and, you see a crom on a burn page, something real bad just happens. And he gets he gets nut-punched into Avalanche. <laughs> and then awesome. probably one of, like, one of the most underrated panels... In the entire storyline, because everybody thinks about the major hits of this, like seeing the characters die, seeing Wolverine get blasted, seeing the, the you know, all of the, the dystopian future. The coolest fucking panel in this entire book is when Storm decides that she's just going to unleash holy hell on Pyro to put up that thing. Her yeah. cape is huge, yeah. and inside of her cape, like, goddamn cloak and dagger... Like, yeah. you see storm clouds and then just the worst torrential downpour you could possibly imagine, and Pyro is fucked. Yes. 
That panel is awesome. The fact that the clouds appear inside the cape. It looks like she summoned this from another fucking dimension. Her That's face, how... her face is all in shadow. Yeah. This is, and, and, and I'm gonna give her... Austin a lot of credit for this. Oh, hell yeah. Cause this, this could not have been easy to ink. But the like, fact all that the rain her... is, it's all ink spatter and he doesn't get any of it on Pyro. It could have just been white out. I, mean, I don't know. He could have cheated it, but. But the um, fact that behind, in the panel, behind the cape, you can see the clear sky. Yeah. But just inside this, all hell is breaking loose. Yeah, that is a sweet panel. You're right. Poor Pyro. Never doesn't, knew what hit him. Doesn't stand a chance. So then it's back to the Nightcrawler-Nightcrawler fight. And he jostles fucking Nightcrawler, the other Nightcrawler, off of him. The two fo- two-fisted punch, which nobody ever uses in a real fight. Oh, my God. You would kill your hands doing that. Yeah, but we need to find a person to do that on. I know a few people. All right. Yeah. We're going to... Next convention... We are going to crumb the every, shit out of somebody. Every cosplayer that has a big-ass wingspan on them <laughs> is getting crumbed with a two-hander fist punch. <laughs> is that mentioned in the Code of Conduct that these things... <laughs> hey, I'm going to respect everybody. I'm not going to linger. I'm not going to make anybody feel comfortable. But nowhere does it say that I can't two-hand fist and crown the shit out of somebody. <laughs> yeah. That language will be very specific by the time <laughs> I'm done going to cons. We, I know lawyers. We can get this worked out. But it's awesome because Mystique is split. Half of her is Mystique. Half of her is Nightcrawler. And she calls out Nightcrawler by name. And then uh also mentions his mother. Yeah. She's just like, your mother, Nightcrawler. <laughs> Please cut that out. <laughs> you don't have to actually cut that out. I'm not going to cut that out. That's the one and only time anyone will ever hear me say your mother. <laughs> well, if anyone can say it. It's true. Yeah. That's You're lucky to have one. That's why I don't say it. So Nightcrawler's all, holy shit, what does this mean? And we don't find out until X-Men Unlimited number four. Yeah. It's a long time before they answer that question. Jesus, Sean, I just want to get to the next page of the so story. Nightcrawler, so Mystique sneaks away, right? Slinks away like a coward. Yes, and the rest of the X-Men are like, hey, where's Kitty? <laughs> hey, you know the reason for this whole story? You remember how she came back in time to tell us not to screw something up? I think we might have just screwed that up. So then we cut back to 2013. So last year, while you were stuffing your face full of Kit Kats, this shit was about to go down. Called out on what I was actually (laughs) doing on Halloween night. (laughs) But think about it. While you were making sure that Finn didn't eat razor blades by stealing all of his good candy and leaving him with the crap because he's too young to know, Wolverine, Colossus, and Storm. We're about to destroy all the Sentinels in the future and save the fucking day. Yeah, they were. They were about to take them down so easily. Wolverine's adamantium claws would cut through those robots like a hot knife through butter. That's what I thought was going to happen. No, no, that's what's going to happen. Oh, yeah? I mean, they, they come out of the elevator and they see there's just one Sentinel in the room. An Omega series, a low number, one of the executive cadre. And he's all mine, says Wolverine. Dial me up a fastball special and I'll slice and dice this bitch. And he's almost upon his neck. 
But the Sentinel is just a little bit faster. And this... I mean... You don't see a lot of gore in an X-Men book. But in this page, you see Wolverine's skin flayed from his body and his skeleton laid bare. And it's even worse because it's like, this is Wolverine, like, over the time period that you've gotten to know this character, I don't give a shit if you hate him now. At this point when you were reading this, dude was a bad motherfucker. Yeah. And that Sentinel, it's not even bad enough that the Sentinel just melts the skin off of his bones so it looks like it's fat lumps thrown off of him. You can see his teeth basically coming out of his jaw. That fucking sentinel taunts him. And he's like, you really think you could have come in here in my house without us knowing? You're fucked. Yeah. Listen to the sad blues music. (laughs) Yeah, that's Finn with his new harmonica. Sorry. It's pretty awesome. I'll have him play it for you. He's got two things he does. And I guarantee he'll do them if we ask him to play for it. And then even worse, the, the body drops in front of Storm and Colossus. And it's just his skeleton. It's just like the inside of a Terminator that's yeah, left. Yeah, that's what I was just thinking of when he gets dunked into the molten lava at the very end. Thumbs up. No thumbs up here. And as I tweeted earlier today, anyone who is a bone claw fanatic can shove their bone claws directly up their ass. Because you can clearly here in this panel see the bionic housing in his forearm where his fucking bionic claws were installed. Yeah. It's pretty obvious that that's not natural. I'm with you. So eat shit, Larry Hama. Eat shit. I still love you, though. Sorry, sorry. I am really bitter about that. You are. The man's in the hospital right now. No, he's not. He was. He got better. (laughs) I don't wish ill will on him. I... I the guy gave us G.I. Jones. I understand sake. what you're saying. But that was an egregious mistake to do that. Yeah. So then Storm lightning bolts the hell out of one of those sentinels, but then through a door. Other ones start piling in. Yeah, that, there's going to be no end to these guys. Oof. So in retrospect, Storm probably should have started. She probably should have gone first. Things maybe would have gone a little bit differently. Yeah. And But while she's focusing on lightning bolting the holy hell out of one sentinel, another one shoots a spear right through her back. Something that we see hinted at in the trailer. Yeah. For the new Days of Future Past movie. A Colossus drops down, is hugging her dead body. And it goes about how, about how Aurora was a sister to him. And you have this great panel of Colossus punching a whole sentinel out of a building. But far down, hiding away, covering up Kate Pride's body is Rachel. And she can feel everyone die. What a fucking... Seriously. Oh, man. It's so heavy. She's just... And in her head, she's like, I can... I felt Aurora and Logan die. I can feel Peter's rage. I should break contact, but I can't. He's gone. Just that fat, like it, so right. fast. The last of the X-Men are just fucking gone. That's it. It's over. Game over for the X-Men. No guarantee Kate's coming back. Like yeah. my favorite X, the three favorite X-Men just die within three pages of each Those other. Those are your top three? Probably. 
I mean, it's always tough because you got to throw Nightcrawler in there too. Yeah. But I think Storm and Wolverine are in my top four X-Men. Okay. With Cyclops and Professor X. Those have to be the four most important to me. Okay. We'll and, get into and, this at a later yeah. date, folks. But, we've we've got to... But I mean, it's... Yeah. It's... Yeah. These three are These big are three me. fantastic and great and loved and Powerful cherished and, characters yeah. that watching them go it's down hard this to watch fast them go. is heartbreaking. So then it cuts to 1980. And Destiny's got her crossbow aimed right at Senator Kelly. Crossbow. And she says, don't try to evade it. Because I can see into the future, motherfucker. I already know what you're going to do. So you're fucked. You're done. <laughs> That, dude, that'd be messed up to hear. Yeah. Because I'd start to panic about what I was thinking about. He takes it like a man, though. He's kind of just he like, fuck you. Right? Fuck you and your crossbow. Oh, bitch. <laughs> and then at the last second, right as she's about to fire, Kate Pride phases through her. And she screams, Senator Duck. And the arrow just misses him. And we get the cool effect as... Kind of get a hint to it what what Kitty is going to be capable of in the future because as she's passing through, she solidifies just her shoulder to knock yep. the crossbow off target. Pretty awesome. But then she goes back in time. Yeah, and it's over. She doesn't remember any of it. Oh man. Oh, and then here as we discussed before. Um. Reality twists inside out, and suddenly she comes face to face with herself as a child. So innocent, so vulnerable, so young. Impulsively, she gives herself a kiss and lets the winds of eternity sweep her home. Which I think is just such a sweet sentiment. Yeah. You know, like, to be able to see your younger self, like, still full of hope and coming from the place that she's coming from. Man, this, this episode's tearing Jerry <sighs> It's awesome. But the problem is, is I believe that that's the panel that pissed Burn off. I know. It breaks my heart to hear you say that. I don't know. I mean, we should probably double check. Well, yeah. There's a lot of reading to do out there, and I wanted to do more before this episode. But what a hard-hearted son of a bitch you have to be to not think that that is nice. Yeah. And it's just crazy that, 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 that... And you're left so... With such an ambiguous ending of like, oh, the authorities are coming, let's grab Kitty, let's get out of here, and let's just hope. Like, everyone's talking to the plane later, and they're like, I don't know. We don't know if it worked out. The only thing we can do from now on is hope. It's fucked up. But it's so awesome, because it, like, gives you the idea of, like, okay, like, is and it And you have no is idea. Coming? Is it coming? Yeah. We still, I mean... Yeah? I don't think that that's been clearly resolved, what happened in the future, has it? I don't it? think so. Because it keeps on... Changing yeah. every time they change the future again. I kind of wish that. I mean, I know that that you're kind. You love having more stories like this, but I kind of wish that they hadn't become the book where you monkey with the timeline and you have all these alternatives. True. Like I kind of wish that it had just been one, and if they revisited it, it would be the same timeline again. Yeah. You know, how do we break it? How did it get broken this time? What do we do to fix it this time instead of? But I mean, I've really enjoyed some of the stories. I just maybe it not seems all like, of them, but it seems like as a writer comes on, 
They want to do their Days of Future Past. Because that's what you do when you're the X-Men writer. You write your Days of Future Past. Yeah. I don't want it to be that. Agreed. I don't know. I mean, there are people that love stories like that, like you. So let them have their day, I guess. But my preference is that this is so special. Keep it special. Like, if, every time you do a story like this, it becomes less special. Yeah. No, I understand. But people have made the argument that this story still exists. And obviously, even with all those other stories, this one still has a special place in my heart. No, we'll get... Uh, cause, so, like I, cause I'll I, stop bitching. No, I don't think that you should have to stop bitching because I understand where you're coming from. Because to me, um, I... This is completely off of Days of Future Past, but it's... If your generation's like shitty dystopian future was the days of future past. My first introduction to a shitty dystopian future was Bishop. And I loved that character. And so years later, years later, in like Messiah Complex, when they have him go crazy and accidentally shoot Professor Xavier and chase down Hope and like Mm -hmm. destroy, do shit that was worse than the Phoenix because he destroyed entire, like multiple worlds to try to kill Hope. Yeah. They made him such a villain, and it was just like the, the, the bishop that I grew up with, the second he accidentally <clears throat> killed Xavier, would have fucking turned the gun on himself. Yeah. Like, he was that hell-bent on, like, changing his future. So, as as much as I like these types of stories, it is a slippery slope, because now, like, oh, this guy's a bad guy, and, you know. Yeah. And they messed with a little bit of, like, where the timeline fell. So, timeline stuff starts to... Unravel. It's one of the, my concerns about the movie is like, are, uh, all right, are we going to correct some of the singer stuff or some of the um, Brett Ratner stuff that happened in the third one? Yeah. Is Cyclops going to be able to come back? Like, is it a reset button? But you, if you start to get too many reset buttons, you're right now connected to this story because you think no matter what in the future, you've seen Colossus die. You've mm-hmm. seen Storm die. You've seen Wolverine die. Fuck. That's... Super heavy. Yeah. But now if there's millions of them, you're like, no death that you see now means anything to you. Mm-hmm. You know, they're about to do that Death of Wolverine story this fall. Yeah. And it's like, oh, okay. I'll see him in a couple of years when you guys put out the new Wolverine movie. And I don't yeah. like that jaded. It's why, like, you saying you getting emotional during these issues, I think is awesome, because I'm glad that they still have that power, because I don't think that comics today have that power, because we're Except all... Except sometimes. And oh, yeah. But as <laughs> as fans, especially, you know, and this especially hinders me, because everybody knows that I'm the guy that, like, only reads Marvel books, doesn't read a lot of independent stuff. I, you know, I pick up some titles here and there, like, I know that Fear Agent supposedly is going to gut me when I ever get around to reading that entire thing. Yeah. But knowing, I don't know when it became necessary for fans to give such a shit about why decisions are made in comics. Like I, I, like I, knowing the behind the scenes yeah, stuff. Like, I like being a fan of comic books. Because it was like, I just like comic books. I don't, yeah. I don't care how many copies all new X-Men sells versus Batman Eternal. Yeah. I don't care about that. Mm-hmm. But when I find out about that stuff, because I'm involved online and because of this and because of knowing people who are concerned about those things because they want to be in the comic industry, 
it takes away because you know, you start to realize as you get older, like, yes, this is a sales marketing gimmick. Mm-hmm. And I am being sold a product that they need to keep around because they need to sell more products. I like being able to like shut that stuff out. Yeah. And it's why I think it's great. You've got a really interesting perspective as a fan because you really care about that insider stuff, but you're still able to allow yourself to like let go into a story so much that reading it for the 50th time, like you've read this story like a hundred times in your life as a kid, and now you're reading it again for your podcast and it still chokes you up. That's fucking incredible and amazing <laughs> and not something that, like, I was laughing just because it was like, we're trying to keep it together for the podcast, but it's a fucking amazing, beautiful, and cool thing. Like, that I can't, I sometimes get bummed out when I hang out or see people or I'm talking to someone that doesn't get as, like, as fucking jazzed as I do about stuff. Because I'm just like, like, I'll hear a fucking song and it'll remind me of something when I'm a kid and I try to explain it to people and they're just like, and I know that they have that moment, they have that thing, uh-huh. but it's not the same thing as me. And I just, like, right. that's why Alan's story in his episode about walking along the train tracks so fucking cool to me because it's like everybody has that. Everybody's being able to, like, be relatable to that. Mm-hmm. Just awesome and i think it's really fucking cool that these can still get to you enough to make you fucking tear up like a gigantic red-headed pussy <laughs> <laughs> oh you're talking about henry gyrich right yes in the last page of yeah issue one for you're not talking about me no henry peter gyrich i had yeah. i was being too nice to you i had uh, to end it up <laughs> but I, <laughs> I wish i could argue <laughs> I wish I could argue, but I just suck so bad. No, no, dude, it's awesome. Because when I was It's a- not me though. It's people that don't agree with me that are stupid because you should be choked up reading a story like that. If it's doing its job, absolutely. Like clearly like reading doing this with you has made me look at other stuff differently and it makes me look at the comics that I currently read. Like how we were talking about earlier about how you only had a hundred issues when you were a kid, so you read them and you read them and you read them and you read them. I look at some of the stuff I buy and I'm done with it and i'm like am i ever gonna fucking read this again am i ever gonna fucking care or is this just sitting in a museum in my house so i can fucking so what so that some other comic book fan can be like fuck that guy's got more comics than me right like who gives a shit so i can go on twitter and talk for fucking 30 seconds and and mention that i like an issue or i don't like an issue and then i get 52 responses of shit that i don't fucking care about like somebody's like no that issue was the greatest nope that sucked like I don't care. I want to be able to read a story and be moved and not give a fuck if I have to talk to someone else to understand why or how it moved me or how it moved them so maybe I can look at it differently. You're just like, oh, I'm in it. I'm in it. This affects me. Yeah. And that's awesome. And I think I need to take a cold, hard look at my pull list and the things that I'm reading and go, if I immediately don't finish this and go, I'm going to fucking want to read this again. I'm really going to... like. Like, I really like Declan Chevlet as an artist, but that Moon Knight, the first two issues, three issues, however many it's on so far, I think three is coming up. I think three might be the test for me on whether or not, you know, because sometimes I look at stuff and I'm like, am I, am I buying this because I want to support the artist? Uh huh. You know, because they seem like a cool dude. Yeah. But I'm not getting that much of enjoyment out of it, but I want to make sure that, like, sometimes I feel like because I've got a good job and I can't afford comics that I'm like, <laughs> Buying shit that maybe I don't really like. Yeah, buy buy for the creators that you like personally, not because you like their books. Yeah. 
Yeah, I struggle I with that too. You know? Yeah, it's definitely happened to me. And it's got to happen there, to you a lot more than there me. There are a ton of great guys out there, and I want to support them. But yeah, I mean, I've got a family of my own, so you have to start making those decisions. In a perfect world, you'd be able to do it all. But, but there's always this part of me. There's the there's the there's the fucked up fan part of me that like is like, what if I miss the days of future past because yeah. I gave up on a book? Yeah, it's weird. Well, it got you, man. This I mean, is heroin. Woo. Here's here's where I am with this. I've been reading the X Men on and off for thirty years. If if I can't get emotional about a story, if it doesn't affect me in in, in some kind of way, what am I doing with my time? Right. No, and, and I think the interesting thing too is because I know um, in our next episode we're going to be talking about a um, storyline a crossover with a creator um, from my childhood, and so I wonder if because you actually haven't read it, have you? No. Mm-mm. Okay, so to me it might hold a completely different. Like I might get fucking choked up about stuff that happens in the nineties where you're like. This is fucking stupid. Well, I hope that doesn't happen. I mean, that legitimately happened with the the um, the Bone Claws storyline. Right. Uh, I just thought it was trash. I, there wasn't that wasn't good comics, and I don't apologize for thinking it was complete shit. But uh, I'm hoping. I don't think you should. <laughs> I don't think I, I want to be able to remove myself from that. And put myself in a, in a, in a place where I can look at it from somebody else's perspective. Okay. I'm, I'm Jerry as a 10 year old kid in the nineties reading this for the first time. And, you know, I sat down and watched the cartoons. I thought those were cool. Now I'm going to go read this and this is going to be really cool. And I'm, I can't wait for the next episode, the next issue to come out. I'm going to put myself there instead of I'm 40. I have two kids. I hate my job. You know, I don't want to read it as that guy because I'll hate it. Right. I want to try to get back to what makes me love these stories. I'm going to try to be there for our next episode and try and, not and to the, shit on it and ruin and that's it. that's the thing, too, like, because I, I, you know, um, I know that sometimes, like, I'll mention that I don't really care about reviews or whatever. I think they're silly. I understand their function to get people to try out books. But part of my thing is, is like, it's, to you those stories are stupid, but to someone, I don't know, it's just, um, god damn it, I lost it again. (laughs) (laughs) You were just going to say something ridiculous. No, it's just your, your point about like, getting into that headspace. I think now a lot of people read I think our connection to creators is so easy now that I think people... It's the thing that turns me off about social media and the thing that makes me seriously ponder a lot of the times of, like, making it go away. Because, uh... I think people are more concerned about reading certain books to make sure that they can, like, make commentary on it. Yeah. As opposed to just enjoying the fucking issue. Like, not having to pick everything apart. Mm-hmm. Nothing in Spider-Man, I'm sure, the science of it, none of it 
fucking no. <laughs> yeah. You know what I'm saying? But at the yeah. same time, I'm like, this is just fun. Mm-hmm. It's fucking fun. Allow it to be fun. It's why I try to keep along with you like this a little bit more lighthearted and not as like, well, I don't want to pick everything apart. I want to look at it from everyone's youthful perspective. Like, that's why when people come on as guests and they pick their favorite thing, I want it to be the thing that they don't give a fuck about whether or not it could actually happen in real life and pull it apart. I just want to hear their jazzed excitement about it. Right. You know, yeah, I want to like hear as, the person as a little kid or as an adult. Like I, I read this and I just couldn't wait to read more. That's what it is. You have, yeah, you have great expectations for what you're about to read. Hell yeah, that's yeah. what this show is. I know, trying to capture people's joy, except for Don, whose joy I trampled on. Yeah, and I, I do feel a little bad about that. He still appreciates it, though, and at least he was given the opportunity to explain why that is important to him. Yeah. And at least you're willing to be like, yeah, I dig it. Like, that's yeah. a, because I think sometimes I look at, like, the the way that we interact in social media, and it's just everybody just going, no, 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 this is how I feel about it. This is my point. Yeah. I'm not going to listen to you. I just want you to know that this is my point. Yeah. This is what I'm trying to tell you. If you don't want to hear that, I'm gonna, I'm gonna really try to tell you, you know. <laughs> so what you're saying is comics would be awesome if it wasn't for the fans. They just occasionally just shut the fuck up and just enjoyed things. Everything would be pretty awesome, you know. Yeah. I mean, people send in fucking when when Amazing Spider-Man number one recently came out last week. People were sending Dan Slot tweets that were like, you know, I fucking wanted to spit on you when Superior Spider-Man number one came out, but man, I just want to give you a hug now that... And it's like, spit on him? Fucking really? Really? Well, people get, just, people we know get very worked up about Spider-Man. When you get rid of Spider-Man, I don't know, man. But I think we've all been in this game long enough to know that everything's going to do its cycle. Yes. So, instead of complaining that it's a cycle. Just fucking buckle up and enjoy that person's interpretation of the cycle. The thing we're going to talk about in the next episode is phalanx. Right? We're going to discuss the phalanx covenant. Yep. And uh, when I was a kid, that was a big deal to me because it was like being nerdy and watching Star Trek The Next Generation, the Borg were scary. Yeah. And it was a new, like, I know that Lobdell, one of the things that he always talked about was the fact that, like, Sentinel stories had always been, already been done. So yeah. the Phalanx was a new Sentinel type of idea. Good on him to create something new. You know? And keep a human element involved in the secondary characters. Yeah. Not everything he did was terrible. Bendis, bring some humans into that Xavier school. Let's see it. Let's, let's see. Get, let's get a human teacher. We'll, we'll get on the Bendis line and talk to him about it. Yeah, he's gonna want to come on here before all is said and done. It's true. We're we're he's gonna be asking us to come on. Yeah, to reach reach the X Men's true fans, or not. So, in the very last page, the epilogue, you see Senator Kelly show up with a very familiar face to the White House, and it's Sebastian Shaw. Black King of the Hellfire Club, which had such members as Emma Frost. Hello, bitch! And they discuss bringing in Sebastian Shaw to start building Sentinels. 
And they codenamed the project. Project Wide Awake. Motherfucker. And who heads it up? Henry Peter Gyrick. Oh, that guy! And see, I hate that dude. I didn't realize how bad he was because as a kid I didn't read a Yeah. So to me, it was... So then when I saw that he was like public liaison for the... I was like, you fucking a That's probably what made me not like the for so long. They hated Peter him Gu- too! No, but I didn't realize that. Yeah. I'd just see him in that book and I'd be like, Beast, you turncoat motherfucker. No, man, Beast hated Beast that hated dude. Him. I know that now. That's why he quit. He had places to be. Gyrick was like, Hawkeye, what are you doing in the house? Get him out of here. <laughs> what a turd. Yep. Why do you have to be a ginger? I don't know. Giving us a bad name. Yeah. One of them's destroying sons. One is working for the man. Just give me a good, solid, nice ginger. Wait for Sean X Factor. Cassidy. Wait for X Factor. Yeah. There you go. Yeah. Or wait for Rusty to show up in X Factor. Oh, <laughs> Rusty. What is Rusty doing now? I think Rusty's dead, buddy. Did he die? Yeah. Did Skids die too? I think one of them, I think Rusty died in the first, we talked about it in the first episode. Cause it was on, I believe it was on that asteroid Avalon M story that I was talking about in our very first episode. Oh, Rusty. Yeah. Sorry, buddy. Oh, that sucks. So, listen. Movie's coming out. It's gonna be awesome. We'll talk about it at the... Uh, God, I hope it's awesome. It's gonna be a while before we get a chance to talk about it. You've got vacations coming yep. up. I'm gonna be cons coming I'm gonna up. be on vacation when it comes out, so I've gotta, I've gotta find a theater. We don't get to, to see it together, and I'm not happy That's about that. That's a bummer. I'm not really happy. sorry. We can see it when I come back together. Yeah, maybe we, that might be the first time I get to see it. To refresh, <laughs> but I would love to see it with you. That'd be awesome. We should do, we should live tweet the shit out of it. So we should see it like three weeks after it comes out so nobody cares. Jerry's live tweeting. <laughs> so, the movie should be good. Let's all hope that it's good. We'd like to, we'll, we'll discuss it when we watch it, right? Yeah, I think we should. But before you go see it, you've got a couple weeks now. Please go read the story before the movie comes out. Because if this is to Days of Future Past like X3 was to Dark Phoenix Saga, you're going to be sorry that you didn't read the comic first in the event that that happens. Yeah. Should we mention C2E2 at all? I wasn't there, but if you want to talk about it. I was at C2E2 and I feel like I met about half of the people that listened to this show while I was there. Probably missed the other half because I was too busy. But, um, I know I was pretty jealous. There seemed to be a lot of happenings happening. Yeah. A lot I of meetups. A lot of meetups. Hugs. I missed a lot of meetups because I had to commute in for the show and it kind of sucked. At I'm night sorry. I couldn't be there. But um, yeah, man, I, I made a lot of new connections for future guests. Awesome. And uh, I saw some past hosts, including Mr. Alan White. Yes. And I did deliver that hug for you. Yes. And he was really excited about it. Just wait until I actually get to do it myself. <laughs> That's going to be great. I'm going to video your first meeting together. I don't know what it's going to be. It's going to be awesome. It's probably going to have to be C2E2 next year. Probably. It's going to be two worlds colliding. Yeah. An explosion of awesome joy. I saw uh, Brian Bowles, the uh, head of the paid X-Men panel a day thread. Nice. Did not talk X-Men with him because I'm stupid, but nice. if I see him at Ap- Appleseed, I'm going to do that totally. So Annie Drummer, Slurmo was not there this year, so I missed out on him. Uh, saw Mr. and Mrs. L.A. Rabbit 
had nice. some nice quality time with them. They're much nicer to me in person than they are on Twitter. Well, at least, <laughs> at least Andrew is. So, um, I should have written down a list because I saw tons of people. Yeah, you had a good time. And a lot of people that were like, hey, I listen to your show. And it just really touched me. You came back fired up, man. That's why I gotta go to one of these things that'll get me all pumped up. We'll burn through, we'll be podcasting every day. Yeah, I mean, really, you, you do this thing and you put it out there and you hope that somebody listen and it's really gratifying to hear that somebody does. Yeah. I do it even if people didn't listen. True. Because I just like talking to you. And, and like, uh, Shane says, it's just an excuse for us to make out. That's true. But, uh, yeah, man, it's cool to hear that people yeah. are digging the show. So. Thanks for listening, everybody. Thanks for seriously. Thank you. Thanks so for much. giving us feedback. It means a lot. It makes me cry, like the end of issue one thirty-eight and one thirty-nine yeah. and one forty and one forty. Cheers, pretty emotional. <laughs> this one got me so bad. This got is me so bad. So much change, Sean. So much change in so little time. Jerry's Menzies are showing. Yeah, sorry. All right, let's wrap this bad boy. All right. Up. Thanks, everybody, for listening. We love you guys so much. Tune in next time. Sweet guest. It's sweet crossover. The next episode is going to be so good. Just wait. Wait, this episode is also very good. I love this episode. I think people are going to be like, stop having guests on. Except for Alan. He's going to be like, maybe you could invite me on occasionally. Yeah, and we will. We will. Because we love Alan. Yeah. Oh, man. Sean's just nodding like, yeah. All right. Let's do this. All right. Folks, goodbye.
We are now recording. <clears throat> this is all on the record. G G G G X Pod G X Pod. <laughs> that was awesome. <laughs> I don't even want to call it Great Expectations anymore. It's just yeah. G X Pod to me. Yeah. I don't know. Not that I don't want to call it that. Just that in my head, it's not Great Expectations. I know. Anymore. I, I did kind of like. The further along we're into it now, I, I did have the Goo Goo Dolls moment, where I was like, maybe, <laughs> maybe I should, should have taken some of the naming more seriously. We couldn't come up with anything else, man. This, this is just what we have. I don't need these headphones. Cans. I don't need these cans. <laughs> I need cans. I need more cans in my life. Cry for the moon!